With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My daughter pointed out that my bottom teeth are not dissimilar to yours. No, um, you can't see the bottom. It's nice. Up, I've, got, I've got a brown one. Yeah, they're, they're hidden quite well by some nice uppers. So I've got a brown one, apparently an awful lot of black ones and some yellow ones. Black? She's, yeah. She said that there <laughs> like are enough... the French and Saunders medieval characters. <laughs> there are enough white ones in there <laughs> that they pass for teeth. Like Eddie said, mine were blue. I thought, blue? I've got a blue tooth. Yeah, I got one black one apparently, mm. which is kind of tucked in behind, which is beautiful. So if the guys at BT Sport are listening, might need some work. <laughs> we could get some BT Sport sponsored oh. veneers if they are willing to pay for me to have like one of those sort of Visalign braces. Veneers, I what? had Invisalign. I did that. Yeah, I might do that on my bottoms. I had braces as a teenager. Yeah. And was never given a retainer, and they went back to where they were. Okay. So if I'd been given a retainer in 1997, I wouldn't have had to pay all that money. But veneers, from what I understand... Mm. I can tell about it, so I've had them priced to go on. They file away your, your tooth, so you end up with like a sort of spike, and then they attach no. an aesthetically nice tooth to that spike. Is that what well, someone doing? else's tooth? No. Someone who's passed away, they'll then insert that. No, into no, your they mouth. will. They make it out of porcelain. They're formed up the spikes, though. It's not fucking. It's not Mad Max. <laughs> they file the surface of the. And then the, they the, screw them in. Yeah. Two men enter, one man leaves. What? <laughs> so dentist in Paul's call, mate. <laughs> Kenneth Chow's had a funny turn. My dentist. What about Ken? That's what I. That's what I thought it was. I thought they just leave you. They, they take the surface down. What it sounds like is a veneer. So it's just a thin piece of enamel. 
which they put on front, they glue onto the front of your tooth. But obviously, but if, if your tooth stay the same, and they glue it on top of the tooth. But I thought that then, after ten years or so, what what they glue go. on <laughs> sort yeah. of starts to very slowly drop off, and then you're just left with a with right your fangs. with your fangs, with your nice. with your dental spikes, which is why it's a high risk. No, there's move. implants, which is where they put a, like a titanium screw into your jaw, and then they screw the implant onto that. So they are basically. But that, that's if your tooth has your been smashed out, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's if you haven't got teeth. Yeah. But veneers are a thin veneer glued on front of your teeth. and they, they'll might, Like, they like false nails? Well. Like false nails. What does Cheryl Cole have? Because she had she had Geordie teeth until she became nice famous. Then, nice she, then, she had, then she had Hollywood teeth. Not a big fan of the big tattoo? No. Not that she cares. No, I was going to say, it's not on her list of worries. Well, she's got too nice of a bum to... to ru- I think that tattoo's ruined her bum. I don't think she's called Cheryl Cole. No, I was going to say, I think, she? I think she's... I think she's just Cheryl, Cheryl now, isn't she? Cheryl and Tweedy. I'm just, I'm just Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't think she's been Cheryl Cole. I was going to say, for quite a long time. I think she married someone else since then. I know. I My um, pop culture references are, are continually about 15 yeah. years after date. Around 2003. <laughs> Still calls Victoria Beckham yeah. posh spice. Yeah, she was, Cheryl was married to England football Ashley Cole from July 2006 to September 2010. <laughs> <laughs> and they said it wouldn't last. <laughs> Yet she married Jean-Bernard Fernandez Versini in July 2014, was granted yeah, yeah. a decree nice sight from him in October 2016. Well, look at the early video. She's got quite pointy teeth. Yeah, exactly. Like a Geordie teeth, not... mate. And then yeah. now she's got Hollywood teeth. I'm looking at a photo now of her at the Cannes Festival in May 2014, and they're absolutely... is absolutely lovely, they. Eh? Cheryl Cole teeth veneers. Beautiful girl, though. Yeah. Cannot yeah stop, sing. stop going on about it. Cannot sing. <laughs> Uh, Cheryl had porcelain veneers placed on her upper teeth to straighten them. There we go, Harley yeah. Street, mileclinic.co.uk. Absolutely not a criticism of anyone who's got bad teeth. That's Hello? The, no, no. You know, we're all, we were all born in Wales. We've seen worse. The Slammed Doc, which I'm sure might mention in a future episode. Yeah, yeah. I was watching it with my friend Nick and his, uh, his girlfriend, Tanya. Nick's a Welsh boy living in Canada. Tanya is a Canadian. Yeah. And uh, she was very impressed with Gareth Thomas's hockey teeth. He's, he's got good hockey teeth as Alfie. When he hasn't got the implants in, he's, he's or the bridges in, he's got the two on the top missing, and he's got the ones on the bottom missing as well. Yeah. So. well he, had a, he had a gum shield that kind of went up. Oh, that horrible split gum yeah, shield. So yeah, what because he, well, he hasn't got the teeth there, there's no point in having that bit there. Yeah, but mate, what's that going to save him? 2p? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in plastic. Well, maybe when he put it into his cup of boiling water to melt it into his mouth like a seven-year-old would. And sucked on his thumb. Oh, I remember those. <laughs> they never worked, did they? Well, they were pointless, weren't they? Utterly pointless. Absolutely silly. You had to suck your thumb, yeah. put it in boiling hot water, get it out with like a lollipop stick, put it in your Melt mouth. Melt the roof you of put... your mouth. Yeah. And then suck your thumb until you bled everywhere. Yes, bleeding <laughs> inside just... the gum shield. <laughs> and then it just dropped off anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a gum shield. i <laughs> You could also just buy generic gum shields from sports shops. Well, they were the ones. Yeah, those are the ones. You just boil them up, stick them in your mouth. You will not have much dental protection from them. Oh, my mate. The unspeakable luxury. My first proper gum shield. A dentist made one. My mate wasn't even boiling them up. He was just putting them in straight from the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) This is quite small. Yeah. (laughs) When I I did boxing, some of the lads had those ones. And I was like, you're getting punched in the face. Just go to the dentist. Yeah. It's yeah. really worth it. Spend the 20 quid. Yeah. Whenever a boxer says his gum shield knocked out of his mouth, I always panic then. 
Yeah. Because I think, oh, this could be horrendous. I was in a pub in Commander once. There was a fight in the pub I was in, and this farmer got um, knocked out. And as he hit the deck, yeah, I thought he'd had every tooth in his mouth knocked out of his, you know, I thought he'd had every tooth in his face knocked out of his mouth. But it was, there were dentures that had smashed. <laughs> He stayed out, obviously. Yeah. Well, why not? The dentures are done. There's nothing you can yeah, do about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I thought I'd come into town. You sorted it out. You sorted it out. Yeah. yeah. Shake hands. Exactly. Shake hands. The chips and kebab meat at the end of the night was a nightmare to eat, but still. <laughs> My dad got his teeth kicked out by his best mate, essentially. Got fighting or in for playing No, rugby. no, playing rugby for Barry in the, in the 60s. Yeah. It would have been just before he got, not long before he got married. I mean, you know, months before, I think. So Dad was playing in the in the pack. His best mate, who was his best man at the wedding, Clove Linton, was playing fullback. So Dad went to go and dive on a ball that had been kicked through on the floor. As uh, Clove came in to fly hack it, and Clove kicked Dad in the mouth and kicked all the teeth out. Ooh, ouch! Yeah. Something very similar happened to uh, Robson Green playing Sunday League football <laughs> as an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, when he was on top of the pops, he had dentures in. Robson well, Dad, so Dad got a dentures when he got married at 22. I'd, I'd have dentures. I don't think it's a bad thing, dentures. Apart from the embarrassment of taking them out at night. But surely you just get the screw-in ones that Mike was talking about earlier. That's what You, you don't need to take them in oh, That was confidential, that. Steph. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, when they get to the point where they fall out, just stick a metal screw in there. What are they screwing in to, though? Well, you put, a, like, a metal screw, like you would... Goes into your... Yeah, it goes into your bone. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. You put a roll plug into put your... Put a roll plug you... into the gum. Just a little... Like a peg, they call it, don't they? Yeah. And then you screw a tooth on. Not the peg when your missus bums you. The, the other <laughs> the peg when you just put a titanium screw into your, into your the bone. They screw the... Do not get those two mixed. No. <laughs> a really awkward time in the dentist chair. Oh, my yeah. God. Ready for your peg, Mr. Bubbins? Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh Mr. Bubbins. No, 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 no. <laughs> Like the well, other way round. You and proper Sid James then, good effort. Um, <laughs> I've never been hung up about stuff that people get hung up about. Like, I would quite happily have a wig. I would quite happily wear dentures. I would quite happily... I'd happily wear dentures. I wouldn't have a wig. Oh, I fucking would. Some of those wigs are brilliant. I just... Uh, what's the I've point? I've watching The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio, and he's got a bit of a piece on him. What's the point? You, so you don't look bald. That's the, that's yeah, no, I know. The usual, the usual point of wigs. No, but you're just, you're just lying to yourself. I wouldn't suit being bald. Yeah, but so is fucking lipstick. So is putting a tie on. Unless you're living in a cave covered in shit, Hi. you're lying to yourself to, to, to a greater or lesser degree. I suppose so. So I think a, a wig, like Burt Reynolds always had a wig. I wasn't criticising I wasn't criticising Burt Reynolds, Mike. <laughs> I'm not having that, mate. Fucking wrong with you. John Wayne, Sean Connery, John Wayne. All those Bond films, some kind of wig. Yeah, but he looked better when he then didn't have a wig in later life. I just would look awful uh, bald. I don't even look that good with short hair. So if I was, if I did lose my hair, I don't know what I'd do. But you're not going bald, so no, that's thank not, Christ. It's not a relevant concern for you. But I am. So that's the thing. Yeah, you know, mine's smoking mirrors, I'm mostly smoke. But but you then have to make a decision. <laughs> mostly smoke. <laughs> you then have to make a decision. Sort of, you know. Before, well, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not saying during this recording. By the end, of, the podcast, by the end of this pod, you're going to need to make a choice because yeah. you can't all of a sudden turn up with more hair. <laughs> so you have to have a wig that is at the level you're at now. No, but, but you can if you don't care. That the pe- this is what I'm getting at. 
I don't care if people knew I was wearing a wig. It wouldn't bother me at all. If someone said, you got a wig on, have you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what, you think that would end the conversation? Yep. Yeah. Well, like Burt Reynolds, when he had his wig, and some, he never tried to hide the fact, but the studios, you know, you got to want them to keep it on all the time, so he did. Yeah. He talks about being in a bar once, and some fellas were talking about this, you know, his, his wig, and was going to, was taking a piss when he was on a date. And so Burt Reynolds said, well, if you, if you can get it off me, you can keep it. You know, because he was a good boxer as well, Burt Reynolds. So I love that sort of passive aggressiveness. I, I, I would love to have a big full thick head of it, and I wouldn't care if it was a wig. I, I, I've never used fake tan in my I tell life. You, I tell you, he's had a bloody good hair transplant, mate. Rob Brydon. I was watching Gavin and Stacey over Christmas. Yes! And now he's got a lovely thick head of hair, and he, he was proper th- and he was virtually bald. Yeah. Rob Brydon. Would you look at that stuff then? Oh, definitely. Is it yeah. painful? Oh, I imagine so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so is your mate taking the piss you being bald. <laughs> That's quite... <laughs> Which is more painful? Yeah. Having hair sewn back into your head from your anus. Or the mental distress. Yes, the mental distress of your mates making fun of you. Not that they do these days, of course. But it's, it's all changing it. But I'd, I'd have Christ, I'd have bloody Rob Brydon's hair transplant. Or James Nesbitt's cracker. Oh, Comte. Good hair. The Spurs manager. Yeah. Well, there we are. That's okay. interesting. So my attitude towards you having a wig is stupid idea, grow up. And my attitude towards you having a hair transplant is crack on. That's a great idea. Yeah, so what really an odd man I am. How expensive is a hair transplant? What are we talking? Oh, thousands. Thousands, is it? Thousands. Yes, but it's not. Yeah, it is. And they're not, they're not permanent. But um, I reckon you get a good nice one for uh, sort of eight, eight grand. But a good, wig, a good wig's bloody cost you the same. I just, I was, because uh, I'm very pale and I, was, I had my hair cut the other day. And the, cry for help no, but like the, the light is quite unflattering in my hairdresser. Yeah. Okay. And I, I was looking in the mirror and I honestly looked like I was hours away from death. <laughs> but imagine that look of pointy teeth. Yeah. <laughs> if I'd had a slightly different upbringing, I'd have fake tan on now and I'd look much better. I wore fake tan Christmas time and everybody that the next two days commented how nice my skin would look, on, on, on the condition of my skin. Yeah. Because it makes you look healthier. Okay. Yeah, I always much. look a little bit better in, you know, at the end of summer when I've caught The worst thing was, sand. like we're doing that pilot last year, is when you've been in proper makeup yeah. for 40 minutes or an hour. Oh, what a heartbreak. To get in the, to get in the shower when I got yes. home and watch my face and hair disappear down the fucking plug hole. Was crushing. Well, I used yeah. to do, looks... do the TV presenting stuff. Just putting makeup on, and you, mm. you feel really self-conscious doing it. Fine, fine, fine. And then when you see the results back compared to how you look in real life, you're just <laughs> like, you, I "Fucking, I look good. I look yeah, fucking yeah. good in that." And then oh, you wash I mean, it off, and you go, "Wow, I've got bags." I mean, the, fo- the, the the football documentary I made because it was in the winter, and we didn't have any <laughs> makeup because of COVID. I mean, I look like I've been boiled. <laughs> It's just absolutely yeah. horrendous. Is when well, not for long enough either. You know, a parboiled par man. There's one. There's one piece of camera where I'm walking past the Millennium Stadium, talking about Wales beating Italy, and I, the amount of texts I got, tweets I got from people saying, "Have you been hanging upside down? Were you grieving? <laughs> Were you grieving?" Why, it's like the idea that I. I'd be presenting a, f- a football documentary about the, the history of Welsh football, 1876 to 2016, just right in the middle of the grieving process. <laughs> really I'm pale. not going to postpone this. <laughs> really pale. What a trooper. What a trooper. Yeah. Well, my problem is my complexion is a sort of grey, but the bags under my eyes are a kind of yellowy green. That's a hell of an hour in the clinic stall. Yeah. Handsome boy, mate. 
really selling ourselves. Yeah. You know, with the point. Have you have you signed those contracts for the TV stuff, guys? Because <laughs> this may well be raising flags. Most handsome podcast in Wales, they are. Grey skin, yellowy, most yellowy blue bags. Given that most of the Welsh podcasts you do. Yeah, it's damning, isn't it? It's a small gene pool that we're going for if we're the most handsome podcasters from Wales. Oh, I feel sorry for Danny Gabadon and anyone, Robert. <laughs> I mean, mate, Danny is the most handsome podcaster from handsome. Wales. Let's be honest. Danny is fucking sexy. Oh, fuck off. He is, oh, mate. He is. Danny is good looking and he, he smells good. And Him and you and both smell good. And his clothes are nice. He always yes. looks cool. Yeah. Some great suits when he does telly stuff. When he wears, mm. when he's uh, in the studio with Sky, I agree. some good suits. I'm going to pull all the stops out next time I see you, Al. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to upset you. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that man there? <gasps> Who is that tall who? drink of water? Who is <laughs> that? Who is that man who weighs what now? Well, I was 120.4 kilograms. What's that in? Uh, what's that in Imperial? It's 19 stone dead. 19 stone ten. No, 19 stone dead. dead. Oh, 19 okay. zero. But now, yeah. 13 um, stone. <laughs> 118 kilos, nine. So I've lost a one and a half kilos since Monday, and it's now, what are we on? It's Thursday. Tuesday to Wednesday. So three days. Three so days, I, I you've lost a kilo and a half. That doesn't make yeah. sense. That's, That's not good. Real. Is that real? Well, it's so not healthy, is it? Not being 19 stone. No, true, true. So uh, I did, yeah, calcium downstairs yesterday, about half past eight. Yeah. I'd already done two hours on the bike by that point. It's good you don't have extremes in life. You are fit, mind. Most people... Oh, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. But, you know, to do two hours on a bike, most people can't do that. Most people don't no. do that. My mate Tom introduced me uh, at our little Park Lions uh, gathering at Christmas time as uh, podcaster, TV... St- he, was, he was on the wind-up anyway. Podcaster, TV star and yo-yo dieter. Yo-yo dieter. <laughs> oh, I like that. Did you see that photograph of me at Christmas time? We were at our black tie do. And it started well. There's a, there's a photograph I put on, on uh, I think I put it on Twitter. Right. Of the three of us. So Tom, myself, and my friend Ian. Oh, I have seen that one, in, yes. In the black tux. Yeah. It's looking like an album cover. Look at, it's a good looking photograph, that I think. I like that photo. About four hours after that, I've sent you the photograph of me buttoned to a lamppost. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm going to send this right now. Hang on a minute. I ended up drinking navy rum mm-hmm. in between pints. In <laughs> that gap between pints. Kelly said, you phoned me from the rugby club. She said, I could, couldn't understand a bloody word you were saying. So she, I said, stay there. I've just said it to you now. I, she said, stay there. I said, no, I'm going to the park to meet with the boys, right? Yeah. So I got to the park and it was hell of a So my friend Jimmy, to stop me falling over all the time outside. <laughs> he's, buttoned you, he's buttoned your jacket around a lamppost. Oh, yeah. that's funny. And you were so on Kelsey, the phone. By the, time, by the time she got there, I was falling up and down a lamppost because I couldn't fall backwards because I was buttoned onto it. Oh, my God. That's well, that is and then I got in the, she, she, Then they unbuttoned me, got me in the car, and I worshipped my kids, right, as we all do. <laughs> Ellie said to me, apparently... Well, I like I can't remember kids. this. Yeah, I've met... I've, they, they seem lovely. No, I mean... I mean They're your both own really kids. polite. We all, we, all, yeah. we all worship our own kids, yeah. right? <laughs> So I, I like my after, kids, but I worship. Mike's I worship kids. Mike's kids. So after she'd unbuttoned me from the lamppost and got me in the car, right? Yeah. She said I sat in the car, giggling to myself, right? <laughs> and then Ellie said, because the kids were in the back, she couldn't leave the kids in the house. <laughs> Ellie said to me, um, 
Daddy, do you want to make Christmas gingerbread men with me tomorrow? And I said, no, that's a shit idea. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious, right? <laughs> By all accounts. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but the next day, this is the thing. So the next day, Ben had rugby. Yeah. And Ellie had rugby. Yeah. Ellie's game was on first. I was in bed with a horrific hangover. Lovely. I said, okay, what are you doing? She said, I'm taking Ellie to rugby. Ben's game's not till 11, right? I said, I said, no, I'm not going to go and see Ben's game and not see Ellie's game. She think I don't think it's as important. I'm, so I'm not going to go watch it. either. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah, happy Christmas. I don't want to choose. <laughs> so I uh, quickly got changed, went to watch Ellie's rugby, felt awful, right? And I mean awful. And then I'd agree to referee Ben's game <laughs> at 11 o'clock because the other two don't want to referee it. Yeah. So my mate Catherine and my mate Gareth are there. And they said, you're right. I went, oh, yeah. no. I felt better, to be honest. So uh, I went and talked to the other coaches. They were lovely, this other team. And I said, lads, I've had a hell of a heavy night. I said, I, I, I don't mind reffing it. I said, but I'm not going to be doing a lot of running around. and There'll be a lot of advantage being played. And they, they just laughed. That's fine. And I, I, I essentially refereed from the halfway line. Yes, please. <laughs> it, was, it was one car short of, of car reffing. It was <laughs> me. I wonder what Ben's attitude to drinking would be. That's interesting. What, I wonder that about the kids. I, from what I understand... Like most Welsh kids, worrying. That's what it'll be. Yes. No, but from, from what I understand, kids drink less now, and they don't drink in the same way. One aspect of it is that when I went out in the 90s and made a tit out of myself, the, it was only the people who saw me making a tit out of myself knew about it. Whereas yeah. now, obviously, yeah. if someone films it, it will end up on the internet forever. Well, that, one, that photograph I sent you is for your eyes only. Only about four people have seen that photograph. Okay. Because I think that is a bad look. But what, what <laughs> I think it's a great look. But they've <laughs> only seen me pissed probably four times in their lives. You say that every time. So, so <laughs> I'm going to go about 12. <laughs> I think you need to do redo your you, you need to recount them. <laughs> they've only seen me really pissed two to three hundred times. Four yeah. times is the last time I told you about it. <laughs> You are talking about being buttoned to a lamppost. <laughs> That's quite fist. It's a great photograph, though, isn't it? It's, it's the it's best photograph good. I've seen this year. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I, so I think their attitude to it will be, will be yeah, quite... I mean, they're going to pub in the house. Well, it could go either way, though, I always think, with the kids. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what I think, you see. Having reckon... seen me with hangovers... Yeah. I wonder if that's enough to convince the kids that it's a really shit yeah, idea. Yeah. Well, because I'm overly cautious. I am, I am an overprotective dad. Right. So I, I would be very happy if they decided not to drink. Yes. That would suit me down to the ground. And I say to Ben, like he, when he asked about it, I said, well, listen, people like Gareth Bale and Sam Warwood, and me, they don't drink at all. Yeah. They're, they're athletes and they're training. Oh, okay. So if they, if they don't... But I should see, I should see my dad pissed. I, it sounds like an awful. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening, you won't be. But I see my dad pissed... On a weekly basis when I was a kid. Just what he did. Do you know the comedian, you must have worked with him, Bennett Aaron, Mike? Yeah. Bennett's a Swans fan, so we, we go to quite a lot of games together. Mm. And we went to watch the Swans play Spurs at White Dart Lane. And it was effectively his son's 10th birthday present. And I'd bought the tickets. And it was like a midday kickoff. And um, I'd gone out the night before. And I was still drinking at 7am. And then as he said, you should go home because you're taking Bennett and his Good son effort. to the football. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it'd be fine, it'd be fine. Shit, I anyway, <laughs> at 11am, Izzy woke me up and said, when's this football start? I was like, fuck, in an hour! And obviously, the ground is an hour Fucking away. Fucking hell. Fuck! 
<laughs> so I just put some clothes on, straight out the door. I got to the ground about five minutes after kickoff, and he was waiting outside with his scarf on. And I'd bought a programme. <laughs> I'd bought a programme. And I was like, yeah, we'll fucking read that. I don't remember any of the game. I, I watched, well, I didn't watch it. I had my head in my hands for 90 minutes. Bennett found it hilarious. Every 10 minutes yeah. or so, I go, ah. It's a long walk, you will know this, Steph. Nothing from, funny than yeah, it is. From, Steph, from, from White Hart Lane back to Seven Sisters 2. It's about, oh, 20, geez, it's about yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah, it is, yeah. It took us about an hour. I had to stop every five or six minutes. I to, he's got a great photo of me leaning up against a wall, just like exhaling. <laughs> <laughs> but his, his, his son, Xander, who's now 18 and is at university, he's a lovely kid, lovely bloke. He'd never seen his father in that state. Mm. And it no. like apparently he talked about it for months. He's like, remember when we went to Tottenham? Your drunk Ellis. friend Ellis. <laughs> with, your, with your drunk friend. Your drunk friend. I don't know what it, drunk. Like Andy, our agent. Well, my agent should say our agent. But he sent me a, a picture. Like, he likes a drink, but he sent me a picture of uh, some cans he'd got through, like a, like a month or two ago. Yeah. And I'm sure if you listen to this, and he thinks that is a is a session, you know. Yeah. But that would. And this is not meant to sound like I've got a bigger dick than anyone else, but being a Welsh bloke who, who's into a sport, that would have been what I drank in the house before going out on the piss for the rugby of <laughs> football. Right. That wouldn't have been my night. My night wouldn't have been like five or six cans of beer. Yes. It would have been five or six cans in the house yes. and then go out. And then go yeah. out. My, my sister, when she moved to New York, she said, you wouldn't believe. She said, I didn't think I was a binge drinker. I thought the whole binge drinking culture of Britain was a bit of a media bullshit. Yeah. Until I moved to New York. And they all think I'm, there's something fucking wrong with me. <laughs> but it's like um, when I was in Vegas with for the Kazaki fight, talking yeah. to the barman there. Because mm. Kazaki was fighting Hopkins, and then a few months before, Ricky Hatton had been out there. So obviously it was 20,000 Mancunians. They were like, it's just a different planet. Yes. 10,000 Welsh fans and 20,000 Mancunians said it was absolute chaos. But they like a drink. Well, the Americans, don't they? I mean, they must... Well, my sister said, like, this, this is the uh, semantics of... of language again she said they would say to her in work are you coming up for drinks on friday mm. and she said it might be a drink it might be a non-alcoholic drink but that's okay. what drinks meant okay where we say here are you coming up for a drink on friday means you're coming up for 20 pints on friday <laughs> after work are you coming up for 20 pints <laughs> you imagine? imagine texting your mates anyone up for 20 pints on thursday <laughs> who's up for coming up for a drink on friday a drink Listen, everyone, works do. So we're going to have seven pints, then we're going to move on to whiskey and coke, and then we're going to move on to sambuca, and then we're going to move on to tequila, and then some of us will eat, and then some of us will be sick. Who's up for it? Who's in? Just a circular email well, you know, around the office. You know Robin from Trigana, who's, who's got the um, yep. cycle uh, thing, right? A lovely bloke, Rob. So we were on a chat this morning, and he said, how'd uh, it go? He said, oh, he's up in Rithin at uh, Christmas time. He's from North Wales, right? He said, "Oh, shall I have?" There was a my mates put a pub there, lovely pint of Guinness in there. Yeah, another one, a, a, a lovely pint a lovely of Guinness. A lovely pint of Guinness, twelve. So, no, he said he had seven pints of Guinness. Yeah, but he's not—he's not a big bloke, Rob. He said, uh, "He said, oh, you know, I was, uh, I was struggling after that though. So, um, so we started drinking gin and tonic. Not, 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 <laughs> not so not, I, I went drinking. home. I went home. I went yeah. home. I had a lemonade instead. <laughs> I went on the gin and tonic. I moved I was, on to something I stronger. I said, mate, that's so—that's such a Welsh thing to say." My mate, my mate Simon Blanks, you, you know, yeah. Steph, always remembers the time. I can't remember saying it, but he said, you're in uni, and we were drinking special vat when that was a oh, thing. Oh, Jesus. 
<laughs> he said, we'd had about eight pints of special that each, right? He said, I'll get, I'll get him in. And you said to me, Banksy, don't get me any more special that, mate. Don't get me any more. He said, oh, what do you want, he went? Just give me a pint of Stella. <laughs> so, Calming down. So, but like, whatever Ellis might say, I don't, I don't do it like I used but they to. But really they get drunk in America, though. They do get drunk. Yeah, they do And you drunk. see them, what, what do they call it, when, like outside the ground for NFL when they're sitting on their cars? Or tailgating. Yeah. Or some of that tailgating Christmas time. You see, they were there, they were, there was like, it was 30 degrees below freezing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to drink that much. Some fella got I his do. can up. He's got a can. Not at minus 30. Great. That must have been cold. Bloody hell, bells. Big coats on. Lovely. Yeah. And we're not condoning. But that was the thing like with the with the live gigs. With, with you know, people... That's why I'm, I'm not going to get judgmental with anybody. But people have been locked down and bloody locked up and, you know, couldn't do anything. <laughs> been locked up. Well, I'm sure... How many people on day release do we have at the Salford gig? <laughs> oh, welcome, mate. A bum, a bum on seats, a bum on seat, innit? So... Even if it is chained to the seat. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> with a probation officer. Bringing a probation officer along with you, brilliant. Two sales. I just get, my hangovers are too bad now. I can't. Yeah. I'm considering yeah. teetotalism. For I had one, one night out before Christmas and I felt awful, like proper horrible the next day. We took some booze down with us to West Wales. I had a, I had a couple of sherries, which I like, I like it. And then I went to the ship in in Trasyth. Oh, lovely. And they, got bra- and they got brains there. So I had a couple of pints of brains. But that was it, really. And then, um, so I'm going to take, I'm, I know it's a bloody hack thing to say, but I'm going to take a month off it now. So I haven't had a drink since, since New Year's Eve. I realise it's only like the sixth one. I was going to say. That's, you know, Done a week. But, but, the, but I've been out since then with people and, and had uh, coffees and soft drinks and stuff. It's the, uh, it's the North European thing, is it? Because the Scandinavians drink like this, and the Germans yeah. do as well. Or go out on the piss with some Polish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russians, see we get on. I did a You're uh, drinking fucking petrol. <laughs> I did a. <laughs> I did a, st- a live streamed show, uh, New Year's Eve Eve, and I was yeah. drinking red wine. And someone tweeted me and said, "You never ever sip it. You pour it, and then you down it, and then you wait five minutes, and then you down it. <laughs> you never, you never just." Sip it and make it last. You're either not drinking it or you've finished it. But it's like Ribena red wine, isn't it? It's nice. It's it is like, nice. It's like, yeah. it's like wine stoppers. Who invented those? It wasn't a British person, was it? What's this for? That's to put the, to keep your wine fresh. What, what, what wine? The wine that's left in the bottle. Are you, are you mad? Because <laughs> it's only about four glasses in a bottle of wine, yeah. isn't it? Four glasses is quite a lot. <laughs> but if I just, yeah, I'm just... The hangovers now... To such an extent, I think, fuck this, I'm like, I'm, I can't, I can't handle this. And I'm pissed, I'm such a lightweight these days in comparison with how I used to be as well. I'm quite impressed that I can still push on, though, that's the thing. Oh, I can't. I can't quite... But so New Year's Eve was lovely. We, we stayed in Aberporth, which is a stunning part of the world, right by the beach. So we spent the New Year's Eve night on the beach, like five to midnight. With a, we took a bottle of Prosecco down with us. Me, Kellen, and kids were crying, it was freezing cold. Way past the bedtime. They hadn't eaten tea because we were pissed. They, they were desperate to watch Hootenanny. Drink your Prosecco and shut up, I said. <laughs> come on, Dad, rag and bone man's on. Ed Sheeran's on it this year. Dad, come on. I did watch it. He gave the game away that it was pre-recorded in September by saying Ipswich are losing to Barrow right now. Fixed <laughs> 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 months ago. Yes, it was lovely. And then I promised. Oh, this was the thing. So I was on the beach New Year's Eve. In, Ab- in the smaller of the two beaches in Aberporth. Yeah. 
and there was a bunch of women there and one bloke um, with a little pop-up table and do, having some gin and tonics and some beers and a lovely little thing on the beach. And the one woman said, excuse me, can I have a photograph? Me and my husband love the podcast. Oh, that's really nice. So we had a chat with them, and then the other woman came over and said, um, oh, are you famous? I said, well, no, not really famous, no. I, I'm more loved than famous. <laughs> Adored. <laughs> can, I, can I have a selfie? I said, yeah, if you want to. We'll have a photograph I don't know who you are, but I'd like a photo with you. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so we're having a chat, and then she said, um, so what do you do? Then I said, well, I do, I do a podcast, and I do some other bits. Well. They get talking about comedy then, with the, with the woman who did know who I was. Yeah. And she said, oh, Mike was in... Um, I was in Tourist Trap. Oh, I love Tourist Trap. Were you in that? I said, I said, you know the, you know the big bloke with the moustache looks exactly like me. Yeah, that was me. So she's bullshit. She hasn't seen it, right? So anyway, they said, um, are you having a swim tomorrow? I said, oh god, I haven't brought any, I haven't brought any stuff down really. I got some swim shorts, but I haven't got like a wetsuit or anything. But uh, yeah, fuck it. So uh, New Year's Day. I, I went for a swim in the sea and have a pool. Oh, lovely work. Oh, I'm freezing. Yeah, freezing. I came out like a cork. I grabbed all of the kids' hands. We ran in. Yeah. Oh, they did it as well? Well, they went up to their knees. You would never, ever, ever get Betty in the sea. And then I just dived in at first in the first wave. Bang. Nice. Once you were in there, though, did you want to stay in there? Well, I went in, I popped out, and I ran out again, laughing. And then later on, Ben wanted to go back in. I said, yeah, come on. Because it was a really quite a mild day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So I went back in again the second time then. But those women, if they listen to this, fair play, because they, they go in. They said they go in every day for for a swim. They're all probably in there between forty and eighty, I'd say, the oldest one probably. So the day we left was like the third or fourth of Jan. We had to get up early to get the house clear before we before we left. So we were probably half a seven, right? So the sun hadn't come up. It's a real storm, real foggy, really cold, blowing a gale, still dark. They're bloody in there swimming. Lovely. And they loved it. They do and they do it every and they got a nice bunch of mates there who meet up every day and they go in the sea. Every day, though, every day of the year, and we saw dolphins. First, first day there, we saw two dolphins out on the bay. There's something about cold water that's really. There you go. Here he comes them. Oh, here we go. Yeah. There he comes. No, but if I did live in Aberforth, I'd been there. I would. The house was was beautiful, r- literally right on the beach. You you open the you, you walk out the front gate, you cross a single track road, you're on the beach. I feel I should say uh, that Ipswich lost to Barrow on Wednesday, the fifteenth of December. Not okay. in September. Not I, September. I don't want to... Jules Holland is a liar. Yeah. He's not that much of a liar. It's, it's, a, it's a fortnight. It's recorded a fortnight. It's a fortnight before. Well, I remember doing a game with Kev McCarthy, Ali. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kev McCarthy. It's All right, Mark. That's tricks. So he, uh, he used to do the warm-up on the Hootenanny. I think he still does. He's big mate of Jules Holland. Yeah, right. he's done every episode ever, I think. I remember him telling me that they make it in the middle of December. Yeah, yeah. And they ruined it for me now. Really? Yeah. I will not watch it. I won't have it in the house. I will not be lied to by Jules Holland or any other members of Squeeze. No chance. I will not be lied to. How weird to do a countdown like that? It must be so weird to do that. Like you, you always got a bullshit. I remember doing like a Christmas special of Deal or No Deal in about May. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking snow everywhere, like fake snow everywhere. I always find that hilarious. No, in a Santa hat. (laughs) I think that's great fun to do. You've done that House of Games, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I might be doing that. But I loved House of Games. Done over a day or two, isn't it, in, up in Scotland? Yeah, what I did, it was in London, but when is he did it, it was in Glasgow. It's, yeah. a, it's a good laugh. I did um, Pointless yeah. as well. That's, a, that's good fun. Yeah, well, they're, two, they're, they're ones that are on my list of things I will do. That's kind of you. You have increasingly small list. Yeah, but they're on there. I will do Letterman. Yeah, do Letterman. <laughs> Leno, no. Russia today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Al Jazeera TV. Anything in Dubai. And any of the CBB stuff because of the kids. Anything in front of my Farage. <laughs> Channel 4 is a general no. <laughs> Five, maybe. Five plus, yes. Five star. Five star. Five star. 100% Sorry, five yes. Star. I've been on Channel 5 star. Well, every time I see a countdown show on Christmas, I was just looking out for you. I don't do a huge amount of them, mainly because I'm not very good at them. Yeah. So whenever I am on them, I, I, well, I tend to perform. We've painfully just watched the clip on their phone 10 seconds Yes. Ago, pretending it's a cherished memory. <laughs> for them. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember that time when he came in with a yeah. teapot and he, uh, oh, fuck. Yeah. You, remember, you remember too many details of this for it to be a memory. <laughs> have you just watched it? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, if they, were, if they were honest, those programmes, you'd be like, um, we almost certainly Something had it about- on. I think Maury Lippman yeah. was in one of them. Yeah. The, the, I don't remember Maury it. Maury Lippman, the sort of, was it, is it... Was it the phone the, book or something like that? Was it for the phone book? <laughs> or was it... Was it a phone book or, t- or washing up like was, was or was that Nanette Newman? Was Maury Lippman Oxo? That was Linda Bellingham on it. I think Nanette Newman did the fairy... It was a great clip though, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> number, number 63. I kind of like the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Fake memories of the Fake 80s. memories of the 80s. Favourite 80s adverts? Yeah. Number 77, Fairy Liquid. That was the one with... Um, was it is the, there a hand? Oh, it, <laughs> was a, is there a hand and bubbles? A glove. a glove in it or something? Shaken fuck. Was, was that the, 80s was or that, 70s or both? With, with, with the ball bloke with the moustache, it was the husband. Or was that Oxo? <laughs> Which is the one with the C? Is it Old Spice or Guinness or both? No, Guinness was 90s. Surely Guinness is 90s. That was the, that was the horses, wasn't it? Or was that Lloyd's Bank? <laughs> Do that. I would watch that. I'd watch that as well. A hundred, a hundred genuine top. Yeah, hundred genuine right? memories of TV shows from the eighties or the adverts. What, what, what about Papa Nicole? Was that the eighties? No, it can't be the eighties. Was it Papa Nicole? <laughs> just hundred stand-ups. I just go like yeah, yeah. <laughs> number forty-five, Midland Bank. I don't remember that one. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's not ringing any bells. Move uh, on. Move on. <laughs> Being paid to do talking heads where you just sat there just going, Hoffmeister no. the bear. I do remember that. Yeah. But I just don't, I only remember that there was a bear. Hey, mate, you joke, right? You mentioned Hoffmeister in one of the yeah. pods we put over Christmas. It went into my brain. Yes. You said follow the bear straight yeah. away, Steph. Yeah. yeah. I went online. Yeah. Hoffmeister, yeah. right? Have relaunched. Have they? So I've got. In my bar, a five litre, a ten pint Hofmeister can, like one of those, um, you know the ones with a little tap on it? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like a home keg. Yeah. So I bought it. So I, I, I had a look at it, and then I was looking at it, and some, the, their marketing was bang on. They seemed like proper people, right? So someone said, why would you want to relaunch this fizzy piss or something like that on there, right? Yeah. And the two lads who now own it say, well, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a well-recognised brand. You know, it's got, you know, people know the name. It's a different beer than it used to be. We've won all, all sorts of awards. He said, just give it a go. If you don't like it, you don't buy it again. You know, I thought, oh, fucking fair play to you, mate. So I bought it. Yeah. Very nice. Is it what it was? Is it just lager? Sort of quite weak. But it's nice lager. It's not, it's not the same. It's like four and a half or five okay. percent nice German lager, right? So the bloke from DHL or wherever it was dropping it off, it said um, Hofmeister on the box, right? Yeah. He got there. He went, uh, oh, Hofmeister, follow the bear. There you right? go. 
I laughed. You said follow the yeah. bear. Yeah. Everyone I've mentioned away. to it, yeah. about the age of 40, goes, follow the bear, yeah. follow the bear. I mean, if you're in marketing, to come up with a slogan that's remembered 35 years later. Yes. By everybody. You mention the name and they go, follow the bear, straight away. That'd be number one on my countdown of top 80s adverts, I would. Yeah. What, the one you can remember? Yeah. Maybe George the bear. There was a bear in it. What did he do? This is Jim and this is Joe. We're off to say hello to the end of those down from Cardiff. They can't have the tea. Someone's eating my knee. Using my head to practice with... Oh, that was John Smith, actually. What is that? It's okay. <laughs> oh, um... The Nest... The Nest... The Nest Cafe... The Nest Cafe couple. John Smith's, I just realised. I'm so sorry. Can't wait to be a mate called Smith. Yeah. The Nest Cafe couple. What off, Meister? Oh, the oh, Shake yeah. the Beans... Wait, the flavour. Like, wasn't Nigel Havers one of them? Like, was he? Gareth Hunt. Sorry? Oh Jesus! Gareth Hunt. He was the he was the three beans, wasn't he? I don't remember it really. Because because Cal's uh, friend Gareth Hunt. Yes. Came to a French dress party once as Gareth Hunt and just had Nescafe labels. The label Gold stuff Blends <laughs> couple. Okay. Oh, Gold Blend. That okay. That was it. Yeah. It was a <laughs> number thirty-three. Number thirty-three. Gold Blend. The original campaign ran for 12 45-second instalments between 1987 and 1993. Stud Anthony Head and Sharon Moore as Tony and Sharon. Anthony Head. A couple who begin a slow burning. Did he do Buffy? He did yeah, Buffy yeah, Vampire he was Slayer, the teacher, wasn't he? Romance over a cup of the advertised coffee. The ads were in a serial yeah. format, with each ending with a cliffhanger. The commercials were extremely popular, and as time went on, the appearance of a new instalment gained considerable media attention. They were one of the most famous examples of serialised... Advertising, yeah, and at the end they have sex, don't they? <laughs> what in the last yeah. advert? <laughs> That's what the last advert is. Post watershed, just yeah. having it off. <laughs> She's just licking his bum hole in the post nine pm version. <laughs> Fucking rimming. You want sugar? <laughs> and then he has a coffee to take the taste away. Yeah, just on the side of the table, necking some nets. <laughs> What's it taste like? Fucking better than that. <laughs> Gold blend better than arseholes. <laughs> That's the strap line. There's <laughs> a fucking tagline for you. Oh my god. The DHL bloke drops off your fucking gold blend. Better than arseholes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mate. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's a, there's a spectrum of taste. <laughs> they're, they're in like a student flat, shacking. Oh, cheap, cheap kettle boiling in the corner. Oh. <laughs> Happy shop of coffee. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right. First round of clips coming up. Um, bit of admin first. The Motorpoint Arena gig on the... Is it the 11th of February? Night before Wales versus Scotland. In Night before Wales against Scotland. We're going to postpone it. Cause... Yes. Everything's a bit up in the air as we're recording this about whether those games are going to be behind closed doors, whether they might move them to England rather than have them in Cardiff. Everything's still up in the air about whether you're allowed anybody indoors in that sort of number, four and a half, five thousand. And some of you will be, even if it's legal, will feel very uncomfortable about it anyway. We want people to get there, enjoy it, let the hair down. Even like afterwards, we 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 took we we're not taking the decision lightly. But even afterwards, we we couldn't meet people for a drink. We couldn't go and do it. I mean, it's just all a bit. And that might yeah. be able to happen, but if we don't make a decision now, yeah, yeah, you can't pull it the day before, can you? It's it's looking unlikely that it would. And then and then if and if even if it does, if things do change, it could, it could go ahead. You're talking about babysitters last minute and hotels last minute and everything last minute and it's not fair to people. So if we if we give people a bit of notice now, then we've got to postpone it until we don't know yet. But we're looking at either maybe the autumn internationals yeah. or Christmas Christmas time. Yeah, have a Christmas special maybe. Well, I think yeah, because there's no point in postponing it and doing it in May. Yeah, <laughs> I think exactly. that would be a bit silly. Or doing it as soon as things open up. I think doing it when there's a rugby game on might be nice. Yeah. Or doing it yeah. when it's Christmas time and everyone's on the piss again. That'd be yeah. quite nice. Yeah. Uh, not that you have to be on the piss to go and watch us, but no. no. But you know, it helps with some of my gags. <laughs> but also to relax and just to enjoy it and have, and have fun and be um, be part of it. Not yeah, not an easy yeah. decision to make. We had a long chat about it, but obviously, in, in regards yeah, this is on Sky Sports News. Well, <laughs> it's, not, it's not been an easy decision it's for not, me. Yeah, it does sound, um, it does sound a little bit like Jim White. <laughs> that was great. Um, but I don't want to leave the club. I've been brought up yeah. here. Uh, well, I've come through the academy system. system. Uh, I mean, luckily the board have given up the three of us their full board of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, we were we've been like like you. I I imagine seen in the press the idea that Wales might play the the Six Nations, almost call it the Five Nations. Then Six Nations games in London mm. as opposed to Cardiff because of the restrictions. So. You know, it's it is it's a discussion we had to have, but this is the decision we've come to. If you have booked hotels, I'm hoping you can get refunds on that stuff or rain checks on that stuff, and same with same with travel and, and all yeah. the other stuff. Yeah, it's not something that we like. We say it's not something we we just decided on a whim. We've been thinking about it for a while. So yeah, we want it to be as enjoyable as possible for everybody. Is the thing. There's still the chance it might not be happening legally anyway, but we decided to pull the plug on it early. So we're very very so. Apologies, and yeah. yeah, hopefully you understand why we're doing it. Bit of admin staff for the rearranged gig. If people, if people would still be interested in buying t-shirts with a February date, <laughs> they yes, yeah. think think of them as collectors' items. Oh, in in many ways, I'm I'm glad that we got ahead of it and invested that money. I'm really glad about that. I know so yeah. many people <laughs> who still. Happy. I know so many people who still got their Nirvana tickets from the 1984 yes. tour. Framed. Exactly. I've got a, a Newport one. That's. I'm very jealous yeah. of that. So. Yeah. I don't know where it is, and I didn't get my seventeen pound fifty back. So, if you would like to frame a T-shirt <laughs> of the gig that never was, February the eleventh, mm. 
Yeah, Steph will sign yeah. it. I'll sign it. The other two won't. Contractually, <laughs> they, 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 they've got it in there that they can't sign them. It's fine. So if you'd like a T-shirt signed by one third of us. The least famous of the three. Because Steph's the organised one. Who's already sorted out the T-shirts. I would have been trying to sort this out the day before. And we'd have been better off if you had. <laughs> yeah, which is always my argument. Different argu- diff- difficult argument to make, but yeah. uh, in this case, being organised has, uh, has helped. Although us. if you are a, a member of my family, my extended family... Yeah, uh, look forward to your yeah. birthdays. You, you getting. are getting some T-shirts. Yeah. So I've now got 2,000 gifts in the house, <laughs> ready to give away. You know what we should do? What? It's a live stream gig. Interesting. No, that is a good idea. When? On the Well, the same sort of period Ooh. of time. Six Nations time. Well, we will look into this. And I think... All right. So we will talk all to right, Ben, right, right. the promoter. So we'll at least do something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, Ben at Plosive. <laughs> we, we need an email. Yeah. That's cool. All right, let's do yeah, that. Good well, idea. Let's try and do that. Okay. Ben a show. All right. All right, all right, all right. Then. My list, my to-do list has just increased. Sell out-of-date T-shirts, <laughs> point one. Yes. Sign out-of-date T-shirts. Sign out-of-date T-shirts. Learn how to do a signature. If they were books, <laughs> point three. We, could, we could go and watch them all be pulped. <laughs> oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> like at the end of Alan Partridge. That'd be really good. <laughs> or we could porridge. In the windmills of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's do first round of clips. Um, I gotta say, mate. Oh, go on, further, go on. Let's, 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 let's not do. I know I've said this. A, I've said this a few I, times. Right? Yes. I bear in mind this new year that we're recording this. Yes, it is. It's the first one of the 2022. Yeah. I but, think they're yeah. some of the most inspirational, and heartwarming, and fucking best clips we've had on here in the last year and a half. Yes. Good. Just saying. None of mine are inspirational, but I like them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with one of yours then, Al. Let's start with this. Is a compilation. I mean, it really is as simple as this. It's a compilation of one of my favourite commentators ever saying, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness, how did that stay out? Cornelius getting in there. It could be problems here. Cornelius lost it again. And Lazaro kicked off the line by Blackmore. My goodness me, how close that was. My goodness, up the heels, and now United can break out. Frank Reichardt. Oh, my goodness. He wasn't offside. He wasn't offside. Go now for England. Long range shot. My goodness, that wasn't far away. And how he's breaking away. Zola's in there. Brolin on the far side. Bold is coming across there. Brolin with a great chance against the post. My goodness, there should have been a goal. Oh, my goodness. My goodness me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Brian Moore, ITV's... Chief commentator throughout my childhood. Um, He's the voice of football to me. Absolutely, even even more so than Barry Davis well, or anybody else. It, it, it's it's those two, isn't it? It's Brian Moore and for me, Brian Moore and um, and Barry Davis. I absolutely loved Brian Moore's voice. Yeah. I just I thought he was a brilliant commentator. There was I don't know. There's just it's a sort of tombre. He sounds like a football commentator. He does. Yes, yeah. the sibilance is. It's just absolutely yeah. perfect. I, I associate him with Arsenal because he always seemed to be commentating. ITV must have had the rights to when Arsenal won in the Cup Winners' Cup in the mid-90s. And also the um, It's Up For Grabs Now game. He did every FA Cup final ITV from 69 to 88. 
and he did European Championships 72 to 96. I thought they always did a good job of football. You know, back in the day when it was like IT World of Sport and that, but then they had the, when they had the football with, yeah. with Brian Moore, that was always a good watch, wasn't it? There's quite a few things that ITV historically have got wrong. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think football was ever one of them. But the thing with social media, it's created a new kind of humour, really, where people like Stu's football flashbacks, which is where I got this from, and Brian's gun is another good one. Yeah. And the Sid Lambert account of football in the 90s. Either find stuff from games 30, 40 years ago which I never, ever would have seen, or if I saw it at the time, I forgot about it. Or it might be a, a faint memory in the back of my mind, and then they will actually find the clip. Adam Hurry, the yeah. f- at football cliches, is brilliant at this stuff. Or, in the case of Stu's Football Flashbacks and Brian's Gun, they will just create a compilation of things that they yeah. knew happened. Yes. But they will somehow, I don't even know how they're doing it, go to the effort. So they this... Stu, who I've never met, I don't know him, but he he must have realised or remembered that Brian Moore, at moments of high excitement, said, oh, my goodness. My goodness, yeah. And has gone back through a load of games and found 20 examples. It's just really funny. It just really made me laugh. It would have been yes, week to week, so you, you wouldn't have remembered him saying, my goodness, the week before. No. It's when it's back-to-back like this. It's a, but that's when it... Be, yeah, but I play- love any commentator who's got a twitch like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they all do. And they'll know it themselves yeah. because they'll listen back to their stuff. Yeah. But if you like it and it doesn't matter because, like you say, Mike, no one will have noticed it watching. I've never noticed it watching his commentary. But until you watch a couple of highlights, you go, oh, And realistically, shit, what's that? he going to say? When when Gascoigne hits the bar, he's not going to go, fucking hell, fuck's but, sake. Yeah, this, that's what I like about it is this is his default swear. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this is his commentary. Jesus! Jesus. He uses it more often... For misses or saves than for goals. And that's why I like this clip, because it's the moments of famous games I do remember, but the moments you don't see repeated. So one of the, one of the oh my goodnesses is from Man United versus Barcelona in the 1991 European Cup Winners' Cup final. Now, I've yes. seen Hughes' second goal, the one from that impossible angle, loads of times. But I haven't seen any of the other stuff. I haven't seen Blackmore clearing it from the penalty area <laughs> exactly. that looks pretty muddy. Exactly. And actually isn't as good a clearance as the commentary makes you think it is. Yeah, yeah. When you when they replay yeah, it's it. It's fairly mundane to be honest. Centre of goal and he really couldn't have missed it. And yeah. that that Brian's gun um account, which I've only recently started following, the other day he put up a compilation of players running the ball into the corner flag to try and, I saw to that. Try and wind down the clock. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the other one of people getting ready to th- do throw ins, holding the ball over their head oh, yeah, for too yeah, long. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just like little things like that where you just go, that's really but like silly. The, the ball running, uh, the players running to the corner flag to run down the clock. It's like Anders Limpar doing it for Everton in 1995. <laughs> where did you get that from? How long did this take you? And you know, are you being paid for this? Why are you doing it? I'm glad you've done it, and I'll certainly like it. I might give it a retweet. It's just, it's just a really funny aspect. I might of, give it's it a really retweet. funny aspect of. Social media that makes me laugh. I love, it. but Adam Hurry's one. Um, his Twitter account is absolutely sublime, and his book, which I chose on this podcast ages and ages ago, was really, really good as well. So, what's the what's his Twitter account called? At Football Cliches. But they are clearly watching. Like he does things like cracked badge watch. So you know when a club is in trouble, when a club is in crisis, often the tabloids it would be the Man United badge, but it will be a, a 
it would be a split down the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just find loads of examples of that. Great. I love the how way long, he thinks. It really. How I'm, long do you spend then between thinking of whether you like a tweet like that or retweet it? I'm. I mean, I'm quite scattergun with my likes. Yeah. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll like something. A ret a retweet. I will think more carefully. Yeah. Also, if if you don't like sport, it's such a mad thing to see in, on your timeline. Compilation of a commentator saying, "Oh my goodness." The other thing I I did realise is obviously Brian Moore was never a Premier League commentator. Well, um, a Sky commentator. So yeah. he commentated on England games and um, European games for ITV. And the big match, when they had one match a week... Was Wellsby presenting. With Wellsby presenting. Someone like Martin Tyler will do, you know, a few games a week now. Brian, can't he be doing that many? What are you trying to say? It must have been quite a nice job. What was he doing with his time? Great gig. Prep. Yeah, exactly. He's doing commentary prep. shit ton of prep. 80s gravy train television, wasn't it? Don't don't worry about it. I I saw... The pre-match for one of these games on the big match the other day. I know day. exactly what you're going to say with Elton Wellsby, and it's Leeds United versus Man United, isn't it? Yes. And it's done in two minutes. It's it's not even that. Yeah. It is literally a minute to go before kickoff. They have the titles, which last for about 25 seconds. Cut to Wellsby. Wellsby asks Jack Charlton one question. Jack Charlton says a really mundane thing. He's... Teams are out, kick off. Charlton, yes, obviously please. played for Leeds United, <laughs> had clearly given the game no thought at all. It is the most generic answer you'll ever hear. It's fucking brilliant. And now, doing, doing the podcast with Uwan and Danny, seeing how much prep they put into it. I mean, Charlton... And he's literally just turned up and gone, right, what do I say? Tough yeah. game, top of the table, yeah. the eight, we'll see. The 89 yeah. game, Arsenal versus Liverpool, the except for grabs now game. So obviously Brian Moore's commentating, but Elton Wellsby's the anchor in the studio. The pundit hadn't turned up. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And the producer went into the director's box half an hour before kickoff, and Brian uh, Bobby Robson was there. And he said, please, please, will you be my pundit? <laughs> and Bobby said, oh, I don't know about that. I'm just here to watch the game. And he said, please. And then that's that. Well, in the same way that Austin Powers' films completely changed James Bond, because it did become ridiculous that everyone wore the same colour jumpsuit and there was hundreds of henchmen working on, like, laser guns, right? Yeah, that is a bit daft. And there was a real sea change in... And I can't watch a lot of the old... I can, I can watch the Roger Moore ones, he never took himself too seriously, but I can't watch a lot of the Sean Connery ones these days because of that. Because he's taking it all quite seriously and it all looks a bit daft because of, yeah. of Mike Myers, right? You look at the fast show, and when they did things... When they, they took the piss of all the sound bites that managers came out with after yeah. games... You hear less of those now. You don't yeah. see people talk about Game of Two Halves. You don't and those things are just trotter all the time. And uh, punditry is a hundred times better now than it used to. Oh yeah, Jimmy Hill in a, in a St George's Cross bow tie. I do like Jimmy Hill though. I can't think of a better anchor than Des. Oh no, after the, I think that whole era though, the, the master, the second uh, group game of Euro '96 because England got off yeah. to quite a shaky start and they drew with Switzerland one all I think. Um, and obviously it's a home tournament England have got a good side exciting manager and Terry Venables people were very disappointed with that match with that result Des starts by reading out a lot of headlines about how England are going to throw how they're going to throw it away and it's uh, you know it's a home tournament and will they ever get this opportunity again having read three or four of them out he says they're from 1966 
because England got off. Oh, to a, never! England got off to a bad start in '66 as well. He said, "Don't worry about it. We're going to be fine." And then that's the Scotland game, is it? When they won two nil. That's good. But that's a like classic Des, is it? That yeah. is. That's yeah. a great bit of Desing. So Ben loved this clip. He was just he was laughing his head off watching this yesterday. Yeah, Roy Moore. Because anything that you when you re- repeat a, a thing over and over again, <laughs> yes. it becomes funny, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. And then it stops being funny, and then it becomes funny, funnier. That's exactly what happened watching this. It's like, okay, I've settled into it, settled into it. Oh, no, it's made me laugh again. To push through the awkward, like the Tommy Cooper, when he would come on and do the daft stuff, and yeah. get a laugh, and then he'd keep being daft, and people would think, what's going on here then? And it wouldn't work. To push through the middle bit to get to the being really funny at the end. So that, is that is a role variety performance where he comes on and doesn't speak for like seven minutes? Really? Yeah. Just it's looks at the bottles. audience. Oh, my God. Balls of steel. So when you're watching this clip, it's quite, was it three minutes, three and a half minutes? Yeah. It's a funny minute. Then there's a minute thinking, is he just going to do this? And there's a minute going, oh, he's just going to do this. This is brilliant. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then every now and then, the odd, oh, my goodness, me, just to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Love it. Right, Mike, what's yours for this round? Yeah, so I picked this one. This, this uh, I put this on our little WhatsApp group a while back, uh, a few weeks ago. It's a fella called, well, I think his name is Cliff DeVries. Like, so I, I, when you research it, it says Davis on the clip, but I'm pretty yeah. sure it's DeVries, D-E-V-R-I-E-S. This is Cliff DeVries, who is a diving coach in, in the States, uh, completing a dive. When you see my dive, what else can you do? What, what can you find in yourself? What can you find in others? When you look in the mirror, what else is there? What else do you have? What more can you bring out? a little bit beyond what you think right now so there we go uh so if you google it and, and do a little bit of research which i've done it looks like cliff was a really good diver as a young man he was in the sort of uh the frame to go to the olympics for the usa as a diver from what from doing the math so i think when he was very early 20s was diagnosed with a, with a brain tumor that was like six inches across a big brain tumor which they managed to get out and save his life but it ended up with him being paralyzed down the right hand side of his body it's such an, in, I know it sounds twee to say it, but it's such an inspirational clip. He's such an honest, w- articulate bloke as well. So yeah. So the clip, if you, if you don't watch the clip, then Cliff can barely walk, very sort of shuffling gait. His head's over to one side. It doesn't his right hand and arm don't really work. His right leg doesn't really work. So they walk him up the steps of a of a of a. It looks like a f- probably a three or five meter springboard. Get him onto the springboard, and he essentially falls in, but head first. And, and then there's people in the water that they're to get him back onto the surface. They get him to the side. They get him out of the pool. And then a little girl comes and gives him a big hug, and the whole place is singing um, "Happy Birthday" to him. It's his birthday. So from what I can gather, the place that he that he coaches diving at, and he's been a really successful coach of diving. Like he's had some a lot of Olympians have gone through, have been coached by him. He does this every year on his birthday. He does he does one dive and the, the whole place sings happy birthday to him. The bloke behind him on the steps on the way up, which I assume was just a student, is his son, who's I think 20 now. And the, the, the little girl who gives him a hug when he comes out is his daughter, I think he was six or seven. Just, and, and there's a bit there when he's on, and it, it it's really fills your heart with joy. There's a bit yeah. on, the, on, the, on the end of the board where he says, um, he talks about diving should be, should be beautiful, right? He says, you know, you, you may not, you're not going to see any beauty in what I do. I thought, you're bang wrong there, mate. 
this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, also, also his his entry into the pool. Oh, it's not a ripple. Yeah, he's straight. It's in. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And you just think there is something still there. The abilities that he still physically has. You say, you know, he kind of yeah. falls in, but the dive is still. Yeah, not like not like we would fall in. No, exactly. Even well, not like I would dive in now. Yeah, yeah. If I was doing that, you know, and. They intercut it towards the end with one of him doing a competitive dive. And you look at that and you think, what this man has been through then. Well, there's the and whole thing, of... and I'm not going to over-personalise this, but my, my sister was diagnosed with a brain tumour, I think, eight years ago now. So she's had all sorts of operations and chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and she lost a lot of the hearing of the one ear. and You know, those ops, just to go into those ops, it's such a thing to, to have to go through because they have to read, you know, they have to tell you all the things that could go wrong before you have those operations. And the, the, when you're talking about the brain and the spinal cord, it's everything from, you know, some paralysis to death and, and, all, and all points in between, right? It's, it's, a, it's a brutal thing to have to go through. So he's done that. He obviously loves diving. He's managed to stay involved in what he loves doing and be really good at what he does and, and coach, like I said, coach Olympians. To physically put himself through that every year, yeah, and the trust at any point, if he, you know, at any point he comes off that ladder or if anything goes wrong, so he's got ultimate trust in the people around him. When he goes in the pool, he's got ultimate trust in all the people who are in the pool. I just think it's bloody. He's such an impressive bloke to have gone through all the operations and all the, all the treatment, then to go back to doing what you love, and then to and then to pass on that passion to to other to youngsters and and them to progress and, and do really well so you can sort of not in a selfish way but vicariously can you can sort of you can experience that through through what they what they're achieving but then to still get up there every year get up that ladder get off the end of that board get in that pool i think is bloody it's just a triumph of human spirit i love it it's the fact he does it on his birthday and it's a special thing it's a yeah. it's a very um moving poignant clip this but when, when, when you were forced to, to stop doing something that you love because of ill health, that's mm. a very, very difficult thing to cope, especially when you're as young as he would have been. And I don't think it does get any, yeah, I don't think it does get any easier with time. So the fact he still makes this effort once a year, I just think yeah. it's, it's one of the most admirable things. I love it. I, I've, I've, I've watched this clip a few times now. It's just a hugely impressive. We could always think of a million reasons every day not to train, not to get up, not to do things. You can put, put plenty of barriers in the way very easily why you don't do stuff. I've done it. God knows I've done it right enough times. But this is just, you know, you, you've got a tough day, have you? Yeah, Watch this. yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it is, if you, want, if you want something badly enough, then you will just find a way to make it happen. And I just, you, you watch this and, and a lot of stuff pales into insignificance, doesn't it? He speaks so highly, he speaks so well about his, what he loves, which is diving. And obviously the classroom stuff and the coaching stuff and the whiteboard stuff, he must be on top of his game because he's, he's had such success doing it. His birthday must then be his happiest day of the year because yeah, yeah, he yeah. gets to do that thing that he is incredibly passionate about, that he knows realistically he can't get that number of people there every day to make sure that he could you know yeah, yeah. do it safely but this must make his birthday just feel super yeah. great every time yeah good point yeah and i just thought that was that's what came across to me was like ah oh, all these people 
give enough of a shit about yeah, you yeah. that they're happy to be there every birthday to make sure, like you say, that you get up the ladder fine, that you don't, you can get out of the water fine yeah. as well, which is a key thing in this, and that you have that moment of doing the one thing that you loved. Beats go yeah. into TGI Fridays, isn't it? I, I used to work at TGI Fridays. I quite like it. Okay. I, used um, the stuff so. I used to enjoy the stuffed skins, to be fair. Yeah, they're really good. Um, loaded skins, they were called, were they? The loaded skins with the bacon and cheese. Is, yeah. I, you know, I think I if he know. has that as well afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect day. Top birthday. Balloon arch. Yeah, well yeah. worth having. Yeah. Don't release the balloon arch uh, on Newport Road outside. It's right by a train track. Yeah, yeah. It will cause problems. Yes, yeah. Just a note of caution for anybody who still works there. Well, you could have got a Frankie and Benny's and get everyone to sing happy birthday to you. Which yeah, is, that's true. Yeah. It's Topo Gigio, the Italian restaurant in Cardiff. It hasn't been there for years, is it? I don't think. I don't but they, know. they always used to sing happy birthday. Frankie and Benny's is closed now, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I think it has. Remember the one well, on the, the whole chain? I think it. I, I'm not. If, I, if you work at Frankie and Benny's and you're not closed, I apologise. But um, This will come as a hell of a shock to you. Yeah. One way to find out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what though? Being this is a very Ellis thing to say. I always get quite chuffed when I see people who have got Welsh surnames. I think there must be Welsh family there somewhere. So then, when I found his name was Cliff De Vries, not Cliff Davis, I like the clip a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I can see on the internet, Frankie and Benny still exists, mate. Oh, does it? Yeah. Maybe oh, just the yeah. one on the base. There's one positive it? to come out of today. <laughs> If you take something away from this podcast. If you like newspaper based on 1940s American newspapers and people sing that birthday to you, then get down there. <laughs> right. Speaking of Welsh surnames, yeah, I'm going to go with my clip for this first round, which I had never seen before. Just the sprint that really... Yeah, Ron Jones passed away the other day. Brilliant, this is. So Ron Jones, great sprinter, won relay medals in 62 in the Commonwealth and the European Championships. Um, this is a relay race against the USA where the Great Britain Four uh, break the world record, world best time, against an American team who hadn't lost in... Ever. They'd never lost, did they? they never lost a race as a team, which is ridiculous, a proper international. And it contains Ron Jones, <laughs> Bedwin Jones, David Jones <laughs> and Peter Radford. So the fact that, like you what say, the fact, turn, that, the fact that there were three Joneses in it immediately yeah. made me go, I'm watching this. Berwin Jones also played rugby league for Great Britain. Yes, I saw that. Just for good measure. You know, why are not? Are they Welsh lads? Are, they, are the Jones boys Welsh? Berwin uh, David isn't. Berwin is from, um, he was from Rumney. Yeah, so he played union for Rumney and then played rugby league. So Ron and Berwin were... Ron and Berwin were Welsh um, and won bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games as part of the Wales team. David was English. Welsh extraction. It must be David Jones. David come Jones, on, mate. come on. Come on. Berwin. Um, he played rugby league for Great Britain and was an athlete. 
at the European Championships and the Commonwealth Games. Yes. Do you know what? I mean, he runs the anchor leg here, doesn't he? Against Bob Hayes. Yeah, he does against Bob Hayes, which is so ridiculous. <laughs> I remember watching. We talked this on the pod before. There was a. They did one of those comparison programs. Let's look at all the all things being equal. Spikes, track, yeah, everything else. Who would be the fastest man who ever lived? And the, the one that I saw said it was Bob Hayes, right? So, so this. When they said about he's making up a tremendous amount of ground, he doesn't. If you watch it, he doesn't make up. He, well, make, he makes up hardly any ground. No. They basically take the bat on and finish in the same position. Yeah. So Berwin Pre- is racing against the fastest man who ever lived there, essentially. Yeah. Who looks like yeah. he's twice the size of Berwin he, as well. Yeah. Well, he ended up in the NFL, didn't he, um, Bob Hayes? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a Pick hell of a physique on him. Christ. But imagine being Berwin Jones in that situation where, you oh. know, you can obviously handle yourself because you can play rugby league yeah. but you've got the baton in your hand and you're going and you know that Bob Hayes is somewhere behind because you've just been stood next to him yeah. <laughs> and now he's chasing you down like shit he's quick man <laughs> yeah it reminds me of watching sort of that uh, sort of Calvin Smith against you know that sort of build you know that really yeah. small but not small because you know but compared to Bob Hayes, yeah, compared to a more Regis style, yeah, yeah, build comparison, yeah. Bub said a very interesting thing, which had never occurred to me when we were talking about sprinting ages ago. When you're running as fast as you can, but you're losing in a race, it's a very weird yeah. feeling. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't compute. When you're trying your best, running as fast as you can go, but there's someone running a little bit faster than you. <laughs> Come yeah. on. I'm going my hardest. What the fuck is this? How am I going backwards? What's going on? But I was looking through Ron Jones's sort of career then, and he was in as well as being in with the other two Joneses in this race. He ran in Commonwealth Games with Lynn Davis as part of a relay team. Yeah, they were big mates, weren't they? JJ, he ran with in a relay team mm-hmm. because JJ ran sort of Commonwealth Games level for Wales. Ming Campbell and Geoffrey Archer were two of his relay partners no down way. the years. What at Oxford as well. Ming or Cambridge? Well, no, Ming Campbell raced in the Olympics. Fuck, did he? Yeah, so in 64, the relay team contained Ron Jones, Lynn Davis and Ming Campbell. Wow, I didn't know that. He's no Colin Moynihan, though, was he? <laughs> he didn't sit there and tell people to row harder. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that White City track there in this clip as well, so that, that would have been obviously a Cinder's track as well. Is that still there, White City? Hell, is that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've, never, I've never seen this clip before. No, I've never seen this either, and I find that fascinating because it's not long enough ago that it wouldn't exist Mm. but these things don't I I love the fact that things like this exist somewhere but don't surface until there's a lovely photograph of my mum which I need to find it was in my nan's house for for years I don't know where it is but it would have been about 1962 around this time mum would have been about 18 so she's born in 44 and she was running for Welsh 3As and she's just sat on a track putting her spikes on but they were leather spikes with the long metal spikes yeah, Adidas, yeah. like early sort of Adidas. I'd love to find that photograph. I don't know where that is. That was a, such a, a good time for athletics as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Th- well, this was 63. I think yeah. pre-Colin Jackson, I don't think we make enough of our pre-Colin Jackson Welsh athletes. I think we're good at singing the praises post-Colin, but it's only really Lynn the Leap you hear about, isn't it? Yeah, but if you imagine this was 64, so only a year later, if mm. this relay team had performed at the Olympics and hadn't sort of split up. So you're only talking about one year later mm. and they finish eighth in the final. And you think, 
oh, if this was a year's... That's what I always find fascinating about athletes, mm. is you don't get an Thank FA you. Cup every year. Yeah. You know, you look at someone like Di Green, I always find fascinating. World champion, Commonwealth, European, but then fourth at the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Colin Jackson therefore doesn't get the credit. Yeah, Colin. You know, eighty-eight was too too early. Ninety-two was perfect, then he fell. Ninety-six was too late. So Ron Jones would be somebody you'd heard an awful lot more about had Great Britain won the sprint relay in sixty-four. Also, I yeah. mean, looking at Berwin to play rugby league for Great Britain oh. and to sprint at that level as well. What an athlete! What an all-round athlete! just cool it's just cool yeah well I was looking in my bar there there's a photograph of my nan's brother like I said I mentioned before with uh, in the Welsh schools team with Jack Matthews right before the Second World War yeah 1939 so Jack there who bloody played rugby union for Wales the Barbars and the British Lions he was the Wales team doctor for years and years and years he used to sprint for Wales with my uncle Reg and then he boxed Rocky Marciano to a draw in an in a, in a <sighs> exhibition fight in the war so Ooh. I mean <laughs> I love when people do more than one thing like that. Oh, yeah, always. But look at the difference in, in build. So, bearing so our version of the closest thing that we play in this country uh, to America, a homegrown football. sport is, is rugby league, right? Yeah. So, you've got Bob Hayes, who went to Dallas after, not long after this to play yeah. for the Cowboys against Berwin, who went to rugby league. And they look like, I mean, it's like David and Goliath, isn't it? Yeah. Fair play to him. Where's it? So, but he's a Romney boy. Berwin was. I don't know about... Again, right? Because it's rugby league. Why have I never heard of this bloke? Because he played professional rugby. If he'd, yeah. if he'd have been rugby union, I'd know exactly who this was. Well, exactly. If he if he was, you know, part of the Wales rugby union squad in the 60s, you would know exactly who he was. You'd be, oh, yeah, he, he also ran at the you know European Championship of the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, yeah, I know him. Ron yeah. Jones was from Aberdeen. So Berwin right, was yeah. from Rumney and Ron was from Aberdeen. Rumney... Valley, not not Rumney Cardiff. R H Y. R H Y Rumney. Yeah. Okay. For our, our non Welsh listeners, there's a Rumney and there's a Rumney. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you explained it for them. <laughs> and they're not the same place. There no, we go. Not. Well, may if I may blow my own trumpet briefly for a second. I'm not, not, I don't see why. I'm not, yeah, go on. I'm not. I'm not one to do that sort of thing normally. <laughs> so I had a game of rugby. I had a game of uh, touch rugby on the beach in uh, Poppet Sands on New Year's Day. Yeah. yeah. After my dip in the sea in Aberport. You haven't been scouted, yeah. have you? Well, let's check this. And <laughs> so, Wigan have come in for you. Get down there. <laughs> oh, the bloody hell is he? There was a bloody big Rolls Royce parked outside house in Aberport. That they were, is fucking fast. <laughs> so we get on the beach, Ben and I, and, and obviously the girls are there as well, but they didn't want to play. So me and Ben had a game of rugby, uh, touch rugby. Yeah. My mate Scott, and this is when you forget how old you are as well. So I was in college with Scott, and I was like... Uh, in, at Ewick in King Coyd. I said, God, mate, it must be, you know, it's got to be 20 years. He said, Bub's just 30 years. I was yes, like, oh, I was going to say. <laughs> Add it on. <laughs> yeah. So we picked two teams on the, on the sand there. Lovely, flat, wet sand. First touch of the ball, of course, Bubbins. Which one? Drop this senior. <laughs> well, this one, I'm getting to this. Drop a shoulder, sell a dummy, gone. Yeah. Try time, right? Try time. <laughs> try time. Mike, try time, Bubbins. Second half, we play next. We play next. Try the winner. Bevins drops a shoulder. Senior throws a speculative pass over his right shoulder. Bevins junior catches it flat out, full pace. Try in the corner, winning oh, try. Oh, lovely. Bevins, Bevins to Bevins for the winning try. Bevins scored the opening try. And Castleford have given you a contract for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I said I got to stop to the pod, lads. I'm going north. Um, we will not have professionals on this podcast. 
I've said it before. Yeah. I will say it again. We are an amateur podcast. We have always been an amateur podcast. My mother-in-law sat there in the in the little in the fold-out chair, right, watching the game. She said, "Go, cool, you quick, love. You quick." Uh, yeah. She said, "Kelly, I can't believe how quick he is." <laughs> what she meant was, "I'm fat and old. I can't believe you're that quick for that." Yeah. Right. Uh, ha- look how quick he is. For a fat old man, yeah. is what she actually said. <laughs> but I was in hiking boots. So I was in hiking boots and jeans, right? Marvin Hagler style. Mate, the next day, I could not, I literally couldn't get up. I was, my knee was so bad. I was taking my mother-in-law's arthritis ibuprofen, just trying to move, right? And then I had to go to fucking Tesco in Cardigan to buy some frozen peas to, to drive home with a fucking bag of frozen peas on my knee for two hours. Absolutely shambolic. So there we go. Ruin my uh, my my league intention. <laughs> You're an imp. You're an imp. Sub. Although me, I've been I've been uh, so the South Wales Warriors got in touch. American football yeah. side. Let's be I'm up for it. Don't do it, Mike. I'm do, I think I might do it. But only if I'm going to be quarterback. <laughs> exactly, Mike. Big Sky. Oh, buckets. this is the other news I'm going to tell you. Oh, and the listeners might as well hear this. No, this yeah. is, applies to all of us. Oh, okay. I'm leaving Kelly. So, <laughs> well, she's leaving me, but it's the same thing. The end result's the same. Yeah, I'm still going to have more fun, whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> production company got in touch with me, followed the last podcast. Yeah. If it said if you're serious about... Um, what, the 80s adverts oh, idea? Stone skimming. Po- no. <laughs> Stone skimming. Wow. So they're doing a thing with S4C where they try to break uh, Guinness Book of World Records records. Yeah. I said, we're for doing it. I said, uh, you know, we'll um, see if the other boys are up for it as well. So trying to break the, uh, the stone skimming world record. What is, what is the record? Oh, it's fucking stupid for a bloke. Like 55 or... Oh, mate. No, the, the women's record is 55. Or the bloke's like 121 metres or something, Dad. But it's doable. I've seen the guy. It's doable. It's doable. I mean, obviously it's doable. Is it I'm doable pr- by you? Yeah, of course, <laughs> Cheeky prick. <laughs> I was practising down there, wasn't I? In between playing touch rugby and that. Of course you were. I was getting the kids to find me good skimmers. And I was having a little practice. Can I skim one, Dad? No. No, that one's not good enough. Go get another one. <laughs> Can I join in, Dad? No. <laughs> it was like that. Um, so you have a bit of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Where's the big zip wire in North Wales of oh, the quarry one? Line of Stinyog. It's in the lake under that. They're going to do some stuff with the zip wire as well. Yeah. But it'll be in the lake. But I'm thinking, I'm going to say in that case that we're all up for the idea. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, fine. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah. Let's go. It'll be, it's all slate run there. So oh, surely they'd be like buggery, wouldn't they? Skimmers are great. No, you're not going to skim slate. You're not fucking heathen, mate. It's too light. It'll fly off. But it's really thin and. Yeah, it's, it's crap. Flat. It's crap. No, it's crap slate. You want, you want a nice piece of. Well, we'll go through all this. We'll, okay. I know the okay. sort of pebbles we need. Okay. But I'm going to practice in Bar- in uh, over in Barry in the lake. Perfect. The yeah, old lovely, by, lovely. by the old outdoor swimming baths, which is not no longer there. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but the pebble beach is right there, so you can go with nice limestone pebbles, get them back to the to Barry Lake, and have a little practice. And if that if, if that is not legal, yeah, and you're from the Vale of Morgan Council, I'm only joking. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Obviously. <laughs> Read your bylaws. Which, are, which are actually is in the shape of a Welsh harp, the Lake in Barry. Oh, lovely. Is it? Did you know that? Cause it was built for the uh, Empire Games in 1950, whatever it was. Ah. Yeah. So I'll put, I'll put you down for a yes to it. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Magic, okay. <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, documentary time. Uh, this week it's my choice. Um, and this is a four-part series. We haven't done a series one for a while. Probably since the test. Test, yeah. Back in the day. Back in the early days. So this one is called The Kings. And it's on Discovery+. Plus. Why do people box? There is a nobility in it. Boxing is a metaphor for life. Everyone's fighting for something. To see Ollie's career, and you were looking for somebody to step into that void. The golden boy, the perennial underdog, the Latin American idol, and Mr. Detroit. The four kings gave us maybe the greatest period in the history of the sport. Boxing seems to always have a connection with the battles going on in life. Racism was a big thing in our life. Boxing, for me, was a way of making a statement. Sports provides heroes for us. Lord knows politics doesn't. Those who say that there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. Duran was a symbol for the entire Southern Hemisphere. For that moment, the world was focused on boxing. When you have nothing else, feed the faith, starve the doubt. I had to fight for my respect. You have to be famous for something. You have to be burning to become something that society told you you couldn't be. This one will go all the way. This is about Duran, Leonard, Hagler, Hearns, but it is about so much more as well. Um, I was expecting to have all of those fights between the four of them in there, many of which are some of my favourite fights. Mm. But what it is, is like 90% more than that. And I wasn't expecting that. The social context of it all, the sort of political backdrop of the 80s in America and in Panama is just fantastically pulled together and the guy who directed it isn't into sport at all hmm. and I think How interesting. that's probably why it's as good as it is so it's a guy called Matt Whitecross and his background is making documentaries uh, well he made Supersonic the one about Oasis oh, yeah. Um, he made, I think it's Head Full of Dreams the Coldplay one so Is he a British bloke then, is he? Yeah, he is a British bloke as well which again I why think do we do my... this so well? Why do we... we talk... I was listening over the, over the holidays to some of the other pods we've done. We yeah. We talk about the one, about the MotoGP one with, with Valentino Rossi. Mm. And we say that, you know, that, that the art of making documentaries has come on so much, right? And we talked about Johnny Owens, obviously. This is such a bloody good-looking doc, though. It's such... Talk about the pull and everything. You, you, you mentioned in there about that, that one just seems so disparate but this one really pulls everything together like you said the music the politics the 
the newsreel footage, the history, oh. the, the, the fan, fantastic bit of documentary making this is, mate. But what Matt does really well is he doesn't have talking heads. Mm. Yeah. So he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. records audio. He did it with the Oasis one, did it with the Coldplay one, and it never then takes you out of the experience. So you don't spend your time going, oh, Hearns looks a bit old now. Or yes, that's a good point. I don't... You never leave that, or you know, Durant's fat, or whatever. You don't sort of leave the feel of that, but you also get their thoughts. Yeah, good point. From now, and it's like, oh shit, I understand what you're doing. I sent it to you guys, and I said, look, if you just want to watch one episode, because they're an hour long, if you just want to watch one episode, that's cool. But I bet you watch more than one. I watched all four, and yeah. I didn't want it to end. I don't know if I ever chose this book. But I've read a brilliant book about this era called Four Kings, Leonard Hagler, Hearns, Durant, and The Last Great Era of Boxing by George Kimball. Because the documentary's brilliantly made. <laughs> the, the raw material he's got to work with in terms of that era of boxing, those, those are four, you know, Hall of Famers, greatest oh, of yeah. all time candidates, all in the same weight division at the same brilliant. time. And also, all completely willing to fight all each other. All fighting each other. All fighting yeah. each other. They never ducked fights from each other. It was always, it was, it was always on. There's, I think it might be the, the back page or the introduction to the George Kimball book. He explains how many of the different connotations happened and how many of them fought each other more than once. So you've seen it all. Those four boxers. I mean, my God, the Hagler Hearns is is my favourite fight. And the first round is, you know, you routinely described as the greatest round of boxing ever. You could, it's only, it only lasts three rounds, that fight. You could, it's probably the best nine minutes of boxing in history. I mean, Hagler, he comes out, not he doesn't come out of it badly, but I think he often felt like he was the forgotten one. And one of yes. the, one of the pundits says he was, you know, if, if they're the Beatles, he, he was Ringo. Hagler's yes. my favourite by a long, by a long well, shot. Ringo's actually. my favourite Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> but like with, with Sugar Ray, he was always the media darling from fighting in Montreal in 76. He was always loved by the press. Hagler was always ignored. I think someone told him, you've got three things going against you. You're a Southpaw, you're black and you're good. Yes. So it took him far longer to get the recognition he felt he deserved. I loved watching him box and also such an intimidating bloke. That that Hagler Hearns fight, I mean, Jesus Christ! The f- yeah, but they're all class, mate. They're I mean, all with, class, and I loved with the exception of the of the no mass one, which is you know, obviously there was more going on behind the scenes with that. Yeah, but that first bloody Hearns Leonard one. Oh, yeah. that's great! Was an unbelievable fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, he's the he's the bloke. So I I absolutely I watched. I said I did two hours on the bike because I watched two back to back. I'll watch the other two tonight. No, he's the one, Thomas Hearns. Of my recollection of boxing towards the mid and late eighties, he looked mean. He, he looked he looked unlikable. He, 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 I don't know. He had the, when he had the goatee, he looked quite sort of demonic almost. Right, sometimes he's the most quietly spoken one in there. He's got the highest pitched voice. He's the most quietly spoken. He's very erudite. They're, they're all well spoken. Obviously, Duran's a bit of a separate, uh, but the, the three now. So Hagler, Hearns, and, Len, and Leonard, all really well spoken. None of them sound like I thought they were going to sound. The way that you mentioned there, Steph, that he's not a, he's not a sports person and, the, and the, uh, the political side of it, the way he subtly sort of tied the whole Reagan thing in to yeah. Trumpism, right? Very deliberately, I think. There's, there's, the, there's the bit where 
I think they mentioned in the Arnold's a boxing doc, but when he talks, they're talking about American voters being low information voters. Yeah, yeah. And they'll just go for a soundbite and a, and a slogan. And you've got Reagan there saying, I'm going to make America great again, make America yeah. great again, make America great. I thought, shit, you know. You know, it's so clever. It's so clever. And when they, they go back to, even though it's about those four, they go, you can't not talk about Ali and, and uh, Jack Johnson. You can't take sport out of politics. Like when he talked, they talked about the Lions tour in South Africa, they said that certain people said that this is a political matter. You know, sports and politics are completely separate. You, you can't mix the two. That's bullshit. They've always been intrinsically linked, didn't they? Yeah. I'd say the opposite. You can't, you can't take one out or the other. You look at the way that Ali's career went, right? Yeah. When, Le- when Lena came on the scene and they said that he was, there was an image of him that I, I thought that he was bolo punches and the good looks and the suit and the, you know, and the, and the happy family life. They said in that Hearns fight, the first fight, he's a tough son of a bitch, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't get to be world champion without being really hard and having a vicious streak, right? And you might be really photogenic and you're the family man. But he also had a tough life. But what he seemed to get, the not the breaks, not, not to do him a disservice, the Olympics thing was huge. Yeah. Well, he turned pro because he wanted to pay for medical treatment for his parents. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he didn't. He, he wanted to go to university. The thing that really impressed me as well is the. I mean, obviously they're not talking heads as such, but the people he has discussing their careers. He's got world class pundits because he's got Bonnie Greer, the playwright, oh, Thomas yeah. Hauser, the boxing writer, Larry Merchant, who is just the voice of American boxing, and he's got all the footage of Howard Cosell as well, who's just got that incredible voice. I'm here with two-time... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Howard Cassell, the best voice in sports. Yeah, although I love Larry Merchant's voice. Yeah, yeah, When he told Floyd Mayweather, if I was 50 years younger, I'd kick your ass in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he's 90 now, Larry Merchant. He's 90, Well, there's the bit with uh, Duran's trainer, who looks mortified after after no mass fight. After the no mass fight, yeah. Like all good docs, I was nearly in tears at this bit. He says to Howard Cassell, Thank you, Howard. You've always been very fair with us. Yeah, yeah. I was like, and there was that real, and you could see that Cassell genuinely felt for him. He wasn't putting that on. Yeah. Because that was such a strange thing. <laughs> what, a, what a mad doc. This bit's where, it was Duran with a lion, wasn't it? I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a weird fever dream. No, no, They're no. saying no. that what, he could barely go back to Panama after, the, after that because people were throwing stones at the house and they were threatening him and threatening his family. So when he, when he went out for a walk, he would go out for a walk with his pet lion. <laughs> yeah. Because it was the only way he could go for a safe And he'd walk. raised this line from a cub. But this was a fully fully grown yeah. male with a big mane lion yep. that Duran would take for a walk. Imagine seeing it. As if Duran wasn't hard enough on his own. There's a bit later in the film where um, Tommy Hearns has got a pet monkey. Yeah, and all yeah. the pet monkey does is wank <laughs> all the time. Because <laughs> they're trying to sort of paint, you know, how he had so many hangers on and stuff during this era, but he bought a pet monkey that would just masturbate. I fucking love it. Where can I get one of them from? Uh, Duran. I mean, I've, I've watched all four episodes, and at the end they talk about how they all carried on for too long, apart from Hagler. Hearns was still fighting in 2006. Um, Duran was fighting at the age of 50. He was fighting. Duran had a world title fight at 47. Yeah, he was fighting in 2001, and then he had a car. He had a car accident and had to retire from boxing. I read a different sort of uh, genesis story for Duran. I think about it now. I don't know which one. I mean, it, it may have been written by a biographer who made stuff up. Because what I read about Duran is when he got discovered by the 
by the millionaire, the Panamanian host. Him. The story that I'd read years ago was that he lived on this island, that the millionaire lived on an island in, in Panama. Duran, as like a 13-year-old, had, had swam across to the island, mm. got over this like 10-foot wall around the bloke's mansion to go and steal fruit from his orchard. Yeah. Because his family were skint. You know, he's got a bag full, he, he's put in fruit. He sends all the security guards to go and get this kid. He, he knocks like two security guards out and then jumps back over the wall and swims back to the ghetto with a bag of apples in his back. That, that mean, sounds like something that you say in boxing promotion. Yeah. Is what I would say. It's like the Tommy Farr when yeah. he had all the scratches on his back from being down the mines and he said that he got attacked by tigers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, so, so when Duran was out there saying, like, you know, that I was fighting this other boxer and the word got round that the, the millionaire was going to come and see the boxer, his opponent fight, he thought I'm going to yeah. kick his ass. I thought, hang on a minute, where's the apples going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you already knew him by this stage. Duran, though, I mean, the, the pressures in his life, I mean, they were all from impoverished backgrounds of course they were but well who talks about that I think, is it, Durant, is it, I think it's hell. Leonard saying you know we thought we knew poverty but I've seen where he grew up and it is different I mean there's there's living in the ghetto and there's, there's not you know in a city America when you've got nothing and you've got a lot of siblings and you've got one parent trying to bring you up I, I, I'm not for a second saying that's easy it's obviously incredibly difficult but then you look at what how Duran grew up in yeah. Panama. But even Le- even Sugar Ray talks about they would go to Washington because he knew that tourists would buy burgers and throw them away yeah. half finished. So he was going in bins and eating you know, tourists' burgers. America's on a precipice. I mean, we're not going to get political in this, but there's such a divide now between them. Mm. I mean, there always has been, right? And I think places like Panama exacerbated that 30 or 40 years ago. Like, Panama didn't exist, well, without doing a complete history lesson. Panama didn't even exist until America wanted a canal. And then they sponsored the Panamanian rebels in Colombia, who didn't exist previously, right? Because they wanted an independent Panama. So the president sends a lot of gunships down there. They, they invent Panama. Then they say, OK, we're, we're having the bit where the canal goes through. You know, So when you grew up in Panama, in that crushing poverty, you would literally see behind a gate... There would be country clubs and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and golf courses and cocktail bars because that was the that was the canal zone. And like for Duran to say he knew for a fact that his dad had been some GI, yeah, who'd come, come from the canal zone into the, into the ghettos, had sex with his mother, got pregnant, buggered off, never 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 contributed a penny towards the family. So I imagine growing up with that resentment and that yeah. That fire in your belly. And you can't expect people then to behave the way you think. Like when he said about, when you come from real poverty, there's a bit there when they, they talk about Duran eating. Yes, yes, yes. And the way that he ate, he would eat so quickly. Because, I mean, when he grew up, he wouldn't have known where the next meal was coming from or who's going to nick that meal that he's got now. Yeah. So you either ate quickly or you didn't eat. And that just stay, that stuff from a, from a young age just sticks with you. Well, And also, you come from absolute poverty to, you know, World fame. Yeah, you've got all these things on a plate for you. Are you why? Know? Why have you put weight on? Why do you think? Yeah. Why do you think I put weight on? And in terms of resentment yeah. towards the Americans, Be- eating and shagging. The Americans invaded yeah. Panama in nineteen eighty nine, which gets discussed in the in the fourth episode. Well, the whole sort of Noriega stuff gets yeah. discussed quite well. They had the audacity to want to take back that part of Panama that the car went through, didn't they? Coming on to the Thomas Hearns, it was financial because in terms of poverty, I mean, he grew up in Detroit. In Detroit, Motor City, in the 50s and 60s, everyone's in work. There's an amazing bit where someone says, Detroit, you know, 
you didn't need university education to work oh, in, a, American in a car factory. It was the American dream. You could do it straight from school. And working class Americans working in car factories, they didn't just have nice houses. They had holiday homes. I mean, Detroit was the place. Over the course of about 10 or 15 years, Ford laid off 50,000 workers. Mm-hmm. Detroit now is a ghost town. Simon Price, who listens to this podcast, is a friend of mine. They lost over a third of their population. Yeah, well, he went. He went, He did a big holiday of um, America, and he went to Detroit. And if you look at the photos he took, he was in some derelict school, and there's a lesson plan on the blackboard from August 1983. And they just, mm. they just, people just fucked off. People just upped and left, and that's where Thomas Hearns grew up. And I, I read a really interesting book. I got given it for Christmas. It's called Broken Heartlands. It's about the Red Wall, you know, all the Labour seats that um, the Tories okay. won at the last election. And it makes a very interesting point in it. Thomas Hearns is he's desperate to succeed on behalf of the people of Detroit. He's really mm. proud to come from Detroit. And he's enormously supported by uh, the people of his home city. And you would think that he'd be desperate to get out of there. Because he's, to be honest, he's lost out by being born in Detroit when he was born in Detroit. He's missed out on the good times. Mm. Um, you know, the Kronk gym, obviously, you know, I suppose he's lucky in the sense that he's training in this amazing gym. But Detroit as a place is on its ass. But he doesn't want to leave Detroit. He wants the people of Detroit to be proud of him. There's a bit in Broken Heartlands where he's talking about how voters saw the difference, say, between Corbyn and Johnson. So Johnson, obviously, is so positive. And Corbyn say, right, we're going to do this, this and this and this because... These towns need reinvestment or whatever. Yeah. Of course towns need reinvestment. Of course, of course towns need jobs. But people often don't want to be told that where they live is a shithole because they want to be proud of where they're from. And I, I, it's just because I'd read that passage and I watched this documentary and Thomas Hearns never, ever does down Detroit, even though the footage mm. of Detroit, the, the, the terrible problems with gangs, the sort of cracked dens, all the kind of stuff. The poverty is, is horrific in Detroit. Mm. And the footage of it is really, really sobering. And that's what he was coming out of. But those four boxers, I mean, even if even if you just did a very straight sports talk about those four absolutely dominating their weight division, Hearns becomes a five-time world champion. It's just exceptionally well made. It's four hours long. And the graphics. Yeah, the, yeah. The, every, everything they do, there's a, they're showing like uh, Leonard's fights when he, after the Olympics when he turned pro. Well, they, got, they always got the dollar bits in the background. $75,000, $250,000. And they show the same thing when Hagler's starting out. It's like forty dollars because he did he didn't do the Olympics. He didn't 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 do things the same way. But the actual the fights there there was a period in the nineties in Britain where we had a similar thing where you yeah had, Ben Eubank Watson again they didn't duck each other they they would fight each other yeah but I mean this for me that is the golden era of of boxing as those four boxing when they boxed was well, it's that period between two belts. Between Ali and Tyson, mm. it's kind of this fills that gap basically because you haven't got the heavyweight scene being that good during that era. You've got these guys filling the gap. Bonnie Greer makes a very interesting point though. She was saying that as a, a young black girl or black woman growing up, you really looked up to your boxers because they were really noble people. So she talks about Ali and Joe Lewis. Yeah. She'd read about people like Jack Johnson. And then obviously these, the, the you know, if you take Duran out of the equation of it because he wasn't American, but those three were really, especially Sugar Ray, I mean, he was a media darling, but the three of them were, you know, well-spoken, even though they were from impoverished backgrounds. She said that then when Tyson comes along in sort of 85, 86, it is hard to look up to him as a noble 
person, as a noble exponent of the art or the sweet science mm. of boxing because of his... Because <laughs> the stuff he would say in press yeah. conferences, I'm going to break every bone in his body and I'm going to make his kids orphans, all that kind of stuff. It's, mm. it's much harder then to go, he's a really good role he's model. Lovely for guy. <laughs> he's a lovely man. But I found myself watching this series and my favourite one changed all the time. So That's interesting. At the start yeah. of it, I felt like I was being boxed into thinking that Leonard was the hero. And then obviously you get to the end of the first episode and he loses to Duran. They're like, well, he can't be the hero because he lost. And then I sort of start loving Duran a little bit. Yeah. And then I feel really sorry for Hagler. So I start getting on his side. Yeah. And then Hearns is, the, like you say, this sort of quiet character. And you're like, shit, no, I like him. And then by the end of it, you're just like, no, I, I just like all four of you. Mm. And I'm glad you all existed well, at the same time. Duran, he was a... Um he was a world champion in four different weight divisions, not five. So Thomas Hearns was a, a, a he won world titles in five, but because mm. he was so tall in comparison with the others, and because he was so slender, he was able to move up fifty pounds in his career. He had eighty-four inch reach, a ten and a half stone. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal, yeah. isn't it? and that frigging jab, yeah, and that yeah. when he would just hold when he would hold it there, yeah, yeah, and line up the right, you thought, Christ, and. What they describe in boxing, like I said, the, the commentary is brilliant in it. And there's loads of good quotes about the, the, the sport of boxing. But when they're saying that um, it is that love-hate relationship yeah. all the time. Mm. And there's the bit, I think it's the first or the second uh, instalment, when they're saying in an ideal world, boxing wouldn't exist. Yes, yes. But this isn't an ideal world. And this is what, you know, humans fight. And there is aggression. And this is what, you know. And they... Mm. They do those lovely montages at the end of the episodes, or those little five-minute when they they put a lot of newsreel footage in and, and quotes mm. and bits and more. I love. You can't wait to see the second, the next one. Then it's really well made. Like you know, they they, they tee up for the next time. So I'll watch the I'll watch the second two today now. Yeah. But I'm I'm thoroughly I'm and they make the fashions again. I know I'm a sucker for, for the some of the stuff. Well, Hagler some wears of the kit. Sergio Tacchini tracksuit tops. Yes. So well, and there's some. F- there's some feeler tracksuit tops as well. It's a football casuals dream. This documentary, but also like even in the ring, the tube socks, those those white tube socks with the, with the red and white stripes on. The oh top. yes, please. Like the Apollo Creed style yeah. tube socks. And, but yeah. when Hagler's out running, his trainers are out running in their jeans with him. Yeah, yeah. That they're not wearing any kind of kit at all. They're just going for a jog wearing clothes. And he's got a fantastic yeah. Nike Cagoule on, which just looks very, <laughs> yes. very cool. I can't remember who describes Cronk Jim when they first turned up there. It was the woman who now does the PR for Cronk Jim. Yeah. And she talks about the smell of it. Yeah. You know, the sweat and this and, and the sounds and the people swearing at each other and the, you know, kick his ass and all this stuff. And, the, and just... He, all your senses being overpowered when you walked in there, and there were cockroaches on the wall, and there was—I just thought, "Fuck, I'd love to, I'd love to train in Cronk." There was—I thought that. I then immediately Google image Cronk Jim. The original one's burnt down. There's a quote, an Ali quote at the start of one of the episodes. It's the famous, you know, "Train hard now, sacrifice now, and then live the rest of your life as a champion." And I thought, "Yeah," and I thought, yeah. "I spend a lot of time on my phone." <laughs> Put down the second bourbon biscuit. Did you? I don't think I'm gonna become a champion at anything. Actually, it's all about sacrifice. Yeah, I don't do oh, very much. Garibaldi's going yeah. back. I should probably sacrifice something. 
even when I'm training now, mm. I don't sweat like I used to, tr- I used to sweat at rugby training. I don't get that sweat on that I used to get. I really w- I would like to be in a. I quite. I always sort of think. Is that the competitive side of you? I sweated more in that game of touch rugby than I've sweated on an exercise bike in in a, in a year. Okay. Because I'm against other people and you're, and you're sprinting and you've been sort of. I was knackered. I was properly knackered, which I haven't been training for a long time. Yeah. But so I you need that. someone alongside you on another static bike psyching you out. Or I need to go to a boxing gym and train with boxers and actually get a proper sweat on and get naked. Yeah. yeah. And that when you when you can't breathe or when you feel like you're gonna be, you're gonna throw up. That we're not talking about this this week, but that slam documentary. They say they talk about when when Gatlin came in. Yeah. The biggest difference was he just beasted him. And yeah. He said no one's training as hard as us. Remember that, you know. And then when you when you're in a in a setup and you are bollocking the training and really at the time it's horrible. Just there, the, I miss that now. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, like at yeah. the time, I couldn't stand those those sessions, pre-season sessions. I used to dread them. Yeah. Because you knew you were going to be throwing up and feeling awful. But I haven't. I, you, you never train like that outside of no. uh, like a competitive environment. I love it. I'd love. To, I'd love to go to a boxing gym and have someone completely kick my ass. Now, if you listen to this, you want to kick my ass? Let me know. <laughs> Put Mike's details in the episode description. But even that stuff where we're doing like spa- sparring with Owen, and you've worked with Owen, Steph, right? Even when I was fit, even you know, even when I was doing the mammoth stuff, and I was fifteen stone, and I was fit, I would still be blowing up my ass doing that. Yeah, and that was yeah. for doing a little bit of sparring. But I mean, when you're getting like a that romantic, I want to go to a gym where there's old bill posters of boxing fights. Yeah. Yes. And it does stink of sweat, and there's a brown leather heavy bag. Yes. And there's some badass dude skipping next to me, and there's someone <laughs> chucking in medicine. Badass Me- dude, medicine yeah. ball into my stomach, and then I'm, I'm then I'm getting in the ring and having a. Oh, have you ever had that? Have you ever had a medicine ball thrown at your stomach? Yeah, or punched yeah. into your stomach. That's great yeah. fun. But when you're just dripping with sweat and proper knackered, oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. So the series is called The Kings. It's on Discovery Plus, and yeah, four episodes, four hours. Sounds like a commitment, but it's brill. Thanks to Discovery Plus for sorting us out with that. They well. sent us these over early doors. Thank you very much to those guys there so we can have a look through it and see if we liked it, see if it was up our street. And guess what? You were right, it is. Brilliant. <laughs> Why are fat grapes so untasty? Kelly bought a, like a packet of grapes, but they're really mm. big grapes. Like half the size of a golf ball. They're just not tasty. Little grapes are nice, aren't they? Oh. I think the smaller the grape, the more tasty yeah. they are. I don't like grapes. I like grapes. No? Don't like them. Well, if you're going to try to get back into them, don't start with the big ones. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm going to lure myself into them. <laughs> try and wean myself we, back on. We did a wine tasting thing up in... Uh, I like Clannock wine. Vineyard. I like the product of grapes. <laughs> we did Clannock Vineyard, which is, I can highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, not a freebie, by the way. I did pay for it. Um... <laughs> But you know, got some really good taste. deals going on at them. <laughs> <laughs> just to taste like the different grapes there, you know. Just do the wine tasting thing and have a like the lovely food, nice people, lovely wine. You get to understand a bit about it. I went um, to a. Spencer, where to get a leg on? It would have been cheaper to go to a prostitute, much cheaper. <laughs> Short term, yes. Long term. The other way is costing you money, mate. Yeah, and I don't agree with prostitution anyway. I feel I just feel I just feel sorry for him. I'd give him the money, but say that's fine. Just keep the money. You don't have to do that. 
Don't do that. I wouldn't wish out my worst. I wouldn't put you through that. <laughs> oh, you remember the gallbladder advert as well. Chance <laughs> <laughs> a bit of gallbladder action. Ford Passat. If this podcast, if this, if this podcast becomes successful, if that could be known as doing a gold blend. <laughs> that that act. Oh my god! <laughs> what, what, what a post gig party that would be! A bunch of patrons gold blending each other. <laughs> I was just about to try and sell on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I've just done the job for you. You have, yes. If you fancy getting on a Facebook group with a bunch of gold blenders. Never be able to look at it the same way again. Never be able to look at it the same way again. <laughs> Patreon.com slash gold blend is where you need to be. Patreon.com slash distant pod is where you need to head. Um, yeah. For yeah, bonus content. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all going to sound bad. Yeah. Um, on Spotify, if you search for socially distant sports bar extra, then you will also find the bonus content there. There's charges obviously involved in it. Get involved. Have a look through Come it. On. New year, new year, new you. If you are not on the paid version of the podcast, either the Spotify or the Patreon version. The next thing you will be hearing is a little ad break, and then you will get the book. If you are one of the paying customers, guess what? Second round of kips coming up now. Some gold blend action is coming your way. Let's round things off for this week uh, with the book choice. Ellis, it is your turn. Delighted to recommend this book because I got given it for Christmas and I read it in 48 hours. I could not put it down. It is Above Head Height, A Five-A-Side Life by James Brown. No, I'm not going to help you with your Lego. No, <laughs> no. Daddy is reading. <laughs> Happy Christmas to you too. Um, <laughs> most of our listeners will know who James Brown is because... Yeah. Um, but he was at the enemy during the golden period, late 80s, early 90s, alongside people like uh, Stuart McConey. He gave Stuart McConey his first job at the enemy, I think, and Steve Lamarck. So there were great writers at the paper then, also covering brilliant bands. So it was the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and Start the Manics. And then obviously he founded uh, Loaded magazine. And then from Loaded went on to GQ. Now I knew, I've never met James, but I'm, I knew quite a lot about him because I'd followed his career. And I knew that he was obviously a huge music fan because he he got picked up by Sounds because he wrote a music fanzine when he was still a teenager in Leeds. And I knew that he was a huge Leeds United fan and a huge football fan because he did the Leeds magazine, Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. Yes. So I knew he was sort of home and away with Leeds United. What I hadn't realised is that he's absolutely obsessed with playing football. I mean... That's funny. Deeply obsessed. And I love it. And reading the inside cover... James Brown worked in the NME, founded Loaded, Jack and Leeds, Leeds, Leeds magazines, and was editor-in-chief of British GQ. He's a media entrepreneur, journalist, and hosts a weekly show on TalkSport. He is now down to three matches a week. And when I read that, I thought, <laughs> right, yeah, I can read that. Now, it begins, it's really a sort of memoir of 
his own memoir, but told through football. So it starts off with a kind of football he used to play in the streets because he, he grew up in Headingley, uh, in, you know, next to the ground in Leeds. Now, which is, I think, is a very studenty area, but then it was working class families and terraced houses. So it was just all kids playing football in the street in the 1970s. He talks very, very evocatively about that stuff. And as someone who plays a lot of football in the streets, it brought it all back. He's got a tremendous memory for the football matches he was playing as a sort of nine-year-old. And he talks about playing schools games. And he talks a lot about five-a-side. The only time he hasn't really played regular five-a-side was during his, uh, as he describes it, his 12-year night out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he had, um, he's now teetotal, but he had a, you know, a drink and drug problem when he was at Loaded in GQ in the 90s. He talks about... He, he, he talks about memorial matches because a friend of his who he played with for about 17 years uh, died and they have a memorial game and he sort of plays sort of pings, he's injured. So he talks very poignantly about that and what football means to the, the people who take part in it. He writes very, very astutely about the tactics of five-a-side. And the thing, the thing I was quite surprised by, Tony Parsons on the front cover describes it as the fever pitch of five-a-side. It's amazing, really, that it took this long to write a book about five-a-side because it's the most accessible format of the world's most popular sport. So you think that someone would have got round to writing this kind of book first. But he talks about... I'm amazed how popular five-a-side football is. Like, even oh, just in Cardiff, like when you think of all the, all the, all the places that do five-a-side. Yeah, power league, school. And they're always, when you get there, they're booked in all yeah. night, every night of the week. So, he took, you know, he's got loads of games, and he talks about playing like at the Phoenix Festival when he was at, um, I think he might have been at the Enemy, then maybe the start of Law did, playing against musicians. You know, it's not just about five-a-sides. There's far more to it than that. But it's funny, it's acutely observed, um, and I could just relate to pretty much every page. I really, really love this book. He's just, because he's played so much of it, he's just a very good observer of five-a-sides and the sort of culture on five-a-side, and he's very, very funny. Like, for instance, there's, like, two lists at the back, and I'm just going to choose one at random. Um, Every indoor wooden gym must have a rolled-up dividing or cricket net hanging from the ceiling that will feature a (laughs) hall of different sports balls in the top of it. That's so funny. Where my daughter plays at the moment, that's exactly what is there. The above head height (laughs) level will be argued about constantly between smaller and taller players. Um, and he talks about that, the, the mad stretches, especially older players, the ones older players do, which was sort of discredited about 25 years <laughs> ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. doing. Used kit bags must be left in the hall until the next match. Your wife, girlfriend, slash boyfriend demands, is that going to be left there all week? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really good book. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Actually, not by him, because I've never met James, but. I know someone who plays in one of the games he plays in, and I've been invited to play in that. So I must, it's its miles from where I live, but I must turn out in that, I think, because now I've been asked. Because I'd, like uh, I'd like to see him in action. But, uh, yeah, the book choice for this week is Above Head Height, Fiverside Life by James Brown. Brilliant. Right. As we say, apologies that the Motorboat Arena gig isn't going to happen. Um, we had to make a decision on it so we're going to push that to later in the year uh, but we will be doing one at some point and I like Mike's idea about a live stream so we'll get on with that as soon as this recording is finished <laughs>